Welcome to the Andy Social Podcast. My name is Andy Dowling. Uh, you may not know that, uh, so just in case you're listening for the first time, it's always good to uh, do an introduction and be polite on every possible occasion. <laughs> so uh, for those that are listening for the first time, welcome. I really hope uh, you enjoy this episode and also go back and listen to any of the other previous episodes that we've done to date. And I say we, I always say we, we're all involved, even the listeners. And uh, and stick around for future episodes as well. Lots of cool things happening uh, moving forward. But um, one thing that I keep forgetting to do all the time is just explain what the podcast is. Um, and may, maybe the reason why I haven't done it probably for maybe since the first episode is because I never really know what to say. Um, I never really know what sort of intro um, or pitch I should put uh, at the start. I know a lot of um, of the better and more popular podcasts out there have a consistent pre-recorded intro every single time. Um, it's sort of like their elevator pitch of what their podcast is, and maybe I should do that, and maybe I might have to work on it um, in future. In fact, if anybody has any ideas and want to give me uh, a one-liner or a, a one-paragraph of what this podcast is all about, uh, I'm all ears, and, and I might read out the suggestions in a future episode uh, just for, for a few laughs, especially for those people that no doubt will not give me a serious one. Um, but I think the big thing is without uh, spending too much time, because I, you know me, I like to talk too much, the podcast is all, is all about conversation. It's about stories. It's about talking to people. Um, it's about getting away from the, the texting, getting away from social media chats and liking statuses and sharing things online and not really having a great deal of verbal communication. And I know that you all are listening and not uh, communicating as such, but I do hope that by listening to these conversations that I do uh, put up on most of the episodes, that if you're more compelled to go and talk to people that you already know, um, but you might not know enough about them. Um, and what I've found with the majority of people that I've had on to date and a lot of people that I've got lined up as well, um, many of them I've known for years and you just don't have the opportunity to really sit down and have a great talk to them and and get sc- scrape anywhere below the surface to really understand, you know, their story or if not a particular story, just to get a better understanding of who they are and how they tick. And um, I think that's a bit of a lost art in this day and age in the digital digital world. And I think podcasts are are a great way of of highlighting that again. And and podcasts are definitely continuing to become more and more popular. And over time, I'm going to start highlighting a lot of other Australian podcasts that I've been exposed to. And I'm talking to a lot of people that run their own podcasts uh, in Australia. Um, because I've always seen podcasts as, as a, a very popular thing in the United States, uh, but not so much in Australia. But I've been lucky and very fortunate to be um, exposed to a number of really, really interesting, informative, hilarious um, podcasts uh, that are all sort of Australian-based and some fantastic people that are, that are trying to do similar things. So I'll, I'm going to highlight those uh, in future episodes, but um, getting back on track, this there is no particular theme apart from having conversations, and I no doubt over time this will refine and become more pinpointed as far as a purpose and a theme. But for me, it's it's just giving people an opportunity to talk, um, giving people an opportunity to 
you know, express their point of view, maybe tell their story, uh, and as an offshoot, maybe in some cases, be able to use the platform as, as an opportunity to promote something as well. But I, I'm not a big fan of the typical Q&A type uh, interviews, and I really didn't want to do that. I do ask a lot of questions um, in my episodes, but I try to keep it on a more conversational point of view. And, um, you know, I'm no expert at any of this, so I'm just learning as I go. So over time, you'll probably notice that my methods change and evolve and hopefully improve. Um, that might be a subjective opinion, but I'm hoping that over time uh, things will improve. And I guess probably the apart from highlighting conversation is probably finding ways that we can all improve and become better people in our lives. And whether that be a, a life hack or a, a strategy or something that will make you more productive, um, something that may rest the mind, um, make you more calmer, uh, maybe something where it's a perspective on a particular topic or, or in general on life, um, something that may give you reassurance, something that may give you strength, uh, something that may inform you to, to be upskilled in something down the track. Um, this is all about discovering things from conversations with a number of different people. And uh, that's where the podcast is. That's where it's been going. That's more than likely where it will go in the future. But I think over time, my elevator pitch will become uh, a lot more slicker. So that's certainly, um, unless there's about 60 floors or 100 floors in that elevator, uh, my pitch uh, is far too long and convoluted and, and uh, vague at this point in time. But I think you guys would get the gist of what I'm all, all about um, and would have understood that by now. And I hope for the people that are listening for the first uh, time now aren't uh, getting deterred by <laughs> my ramblings. Um, but I promise that um, that you'll you will enjoy um, some, if not all, of the episodes. And uh, this one in particular is a very special one, and uh, one that um, I, I thoroughly enjoyed and got a lot out of. So this week is um, a great friend of mine by the name of Mick Goddard. Uh, Mick, I've known for quite a number of years. Um, first met. Um, and Mick actually sort of surprised me there because I forgot all about it, but um, we actually met via online on an online forum of all places um, with a mutual love of Iron Maiden. Um, but my first memories, and like once he reminded me of that, I remembered, but uh, my first initial memories were seeing Mick at uh, at dungeon shows and, um, and forming a, a relationship and a friendship with him um, through all of that and then... Uh, Subsequently, when we changed the name to Lord and continued on through there, Mick has been one of our most loyal fans um, and has exposed his whole family to our music. And uh, he now has an entire um, Lord fan fan base in his own home um, and all of his kids and, and his his wife, Lisa, everybody's just uh, a, a great supporter and fan of what we do and um, many a times over the years um, they've gone above and beyond to help us as a band and promote our things despite all of the uh, all their uh, their challenges and and things that uh, that keep them uh, well and truly busy in their own lives so um, Mick also is um, heavily 
in the local scene as a photographer and, and of course, a music fan. And he's uh, done many, uh, many great things with local bands and helping them to uh, promote themselves by getting great photos of them on stage and doing promo photos as well. And in a very short period of time, as we uh, highlight in the discussion, in the discussion, in our conversation, um, he's 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 done a lot in, the, in such a short period of time. And um, and I'm I'm quite surprised with how much he's done. And we we pick in a little bit about you know the things that he's had to do to get to the point where he is. And it probably goes with no surprise the methods that he uses is, is pretty pretty straightforward and obvious. But um, I think there's a few lessons there for whether you're a, an up-and-coming, up-and-coming photographer or somebody in general that's trying to get a foot in the door or trying to get some recognition um, with their own craft, with their own skill, uh, whatever that might be. So definitely listen to that, that part of uh, the conversation with that in mind because I think there are some great teachings there and and this is a perfect example of what is possible um, if you do stick with something and um, and you genuinely love what you do. Um, and then, of course, we touch on um, Nick's son, Kai. Uh, I'm not going to really uh, explain a great deal about it because I don't think I can do it justice. Um, and anytime I attempt to try and talk about um, Kai's story to anybody else to try and describe it. I, I always feel guilty because I can never do it ju- justice and, and explain it properly to really sort of uh, convey the magnitude of what Mick and his whole family have been through and especially his his son Kai. So I'm going to leave that to, to Mick to go through and, and explain it. And, and um, he did a great job of, of, of running through part of the story and, and – um, and the things that they've had to go through, and uh, I huge respect for for Mick and his family, and and extremely grateful for Mick to to want and to be happy to to run through the whole thing again, um, like he's probably done countless times now over the years. But um, it's appreciated that um, that he was able to share that with with me, and and now with all of you as well. And and the big takeaway from this, and the reason why. Um, I've asked him to talk about Kai, not just because it is interesting, and I will put that out there straight away, but at the same time, I think it's all about bringing a bit more awareness to, well, awareness to start off with that there are families that go through a hell of a lot and there are, and there's not just the immediate struggle of um, the child uh, it's uh, itself, or in this case himself, but the entire family and how they're impacted and what what is involved and 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 uh, and how complex and how uh, distressing and overwhelming and and all those emotions what what it can be um, and have, by having that awareness also being able to provide and through this platform some resources that people can um, do something to to help. Um, other families that that go through these scenarios all the time, um, especially here in in Australia and in, in particular the state of New South Wales. Um, so I'm going to put a bunch of links in the show notes uh, for for you all to check out. And um, I do hope that um, if you do feel compelled um, to spread this conversation around or to spread um, the links around and and if you feel like donating anything or, or supporting something or, or discussing something with somebody else um, 
I think um, you know this is this is a great platform and a great uh, great opportunity to to do something just to to help uh, in a in a bigger picture kind of way. Um, anyway, enough crapping on um, because I'm very good at doing that, and I tend to lose track of time and realize that I've probably uh, got most people turning off uh, the podcast by now or using that fast forward function. Uh, but anyway, enjoy this uh, conversation with Mick. And uh, I'll ramble on a little bit at the end of the uh, episode as well. Thanks, guys. Um, I was writing down a whole bunch of notes to talk about and uh, I just kept sort of writing and writing and writing and um, figured I'd just start anywhere and just see where it takes us. I think probably the first thing to start off with, and it might be a good basis, is can you please explain to me your love of Iron Maiden? My love of Iron Maiden, it started way back in about 1984, maybe 1983. Um, I was listening to AM radio, as you did back then, 2SM, I think it was. And my cousin was like, no, 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 don't listen to that, listen to this. And he played me a track off, I think it was Peace of Mind. Yes, it was, The Trooper. And I just went, wow. And <laughs> Yeah, I got hooked from there and I've followed them, loved them and just adored their, their music style since since then, really. And, um, yeah. And the reason why I bring that up is probably for the most part, that's, I mean, I, I, I met you through Dungeon and yep. and those early those early days, at least from my point of view, but I knew you more so because you were just a massive Maiden fanatic. You were just this huge Maiden fan along with a with a group of other people and and uh, that just seemed to be the big thing that sort of drew a whole stack of you together. And then as an offshoot, you guys were coming out to the dungeon shows and then and then uh, what ended up being the Lord stuff as well. So my initial, um, I guess, impressions of you were, were just this gigantic Maiden fan, this, this fanatic, this, this person who's just, just absolutely... Uh, Oh, obsessed. Yeah, obsessed. <laughs> I was going to use that word. I thought, well, I don't. Sometimes people take offence to that, but uh, no, nah, yeah. you can't offend me with Iron Maiden. It's as simple as that. <laughs> so yeah, back back in the, back in the days of the forum with with the the Maiden Down Under and the uh, the Beast Down Under, the Down Under Clansmen. Um, I think that's when I sort of first bumped into you as uh, Aussie Metal Child. I think you were. <laughs> that's the one. <laughs> yeah, and and yeah, that was it was crazy, and the the passion and everything else just grew and grew and grew. The longer they sort of refused to tour here, or promoters refused to bring them here, that that grew. It was like that that tension of I don't know losing your virginity again, so to speak, of of seeing Iron Maiden live in Australia it was just. You know, it took them sixteen years that they finally got here. That's right. The, the anticipation. I mean, I was. I wasn't. I didn't see them um, before two thousand and eight, so I missed them on that because um, the last one would have been Fear of the Dark when they when they toured yep. uh, the the previous time, and and I was just too young for that. But there was that much hype leading up to even a, an announcement, just the whispers that potentially this was going to happen, and then when it actually happened, it was just hysteric. So I I don't think I'll ever experience that kind of feeling around a, a tour announcement ever again. And it's not just from my experience, but just to see everybody around me just just lose it. It was just it was just one of those bands that I think 
people just had written off and and thought that uh, they probably wouldn't wouldn't come back for whatever reason. Yeah, I mean, we all you know, Fear of the Dark tour '92 at the Horden. I'll, I'll never forget that night as long as I live. Um, but yeah, then seeing uh, somewhere back in time tour shirts float around the internet with Australian dates on the back of them, and we're like. They're coming, they're coming again, you know, <laughs> like back, back then. Yeah. And it, it never happened. And then Fear of the Dark had happened. And then we heard rumors about Australia for the world, you know, back somewhere back in time world tour. And we're mm. like, yeah, yeah. They said this before. It's, it's not going to happen. And, and then all of a sudden, bang, you know, the big announcement come that morning. And yeah, the forums just went nuts. And the old <laughs> MSN chat lines went nuts. It just, it, it blew up. It went astronomical and yeah it was absolutely crazy times it was um it, i mean i'll always have fond memories of of that 08 tour because i think like yourself you went to multiple shows didn't you did you go to all of them or just only only one i missed was perth yeah yeah so it was the same as me and and um i think you would have met a good friend of mine tonchi from brisbane because i think he used to be on the boards as well as the hellion and yep. um and I remember talking to him and the tickets went on sale and he's just like, let's do them all. And I'm like, yeah, all right, sounds good. And then we, like, Perth was just way too expensive to get over there. But uh, we yeah. snapped up we snapped up the other five shows just straight away without even thinking. And it's like, oh, okay, so we've got the tickets. Now we've got to work out how to get the rest of the money together. <laughs> yeah, that's yeah. But but always, it was, always the same. Uh, yeah, but it was like it was over a period of about a week and uh, oh, a week and a half um, maybe just over a week, and we, or for for the two of us anyway, we took that entire period off, and you know we did the two Melbourne shows, then we hung out there for a while, then we got up to Sydney and hung out for a while, and then did the shows up in Sid- Sydney, and then we flew flew back up to Brisbane and and uh, and did the last show up there, and it was just, I mean, I, I don't think I've ever drunk that much beer in my life, but it was it was just the the most amazing time and the most amazing energy across all three cities and just seeing so many people and people that we like I'm sure that you're the same with the with uh, the guys from the boards and and fan club and everybody out and about just it's a big reunion in in some ways yeah it was it was it was a chance to finally meet some of these people in person uh, we actually share I shared the flight with you to Brisbane I remember that's right we were on the same flight up to Brisbane with my with my young bloke Reese yeah he was only what Wow, twelve years ago, he was only twelve years old then. Yeah, well, yeah, I, I I took him up to Brisbane with me for the show. That was yeah, that was an insane week and a bit. Uh-huh. We had friends. We stayed at friends' houses in Melbourne that we'd never met, and they're <laughs> like, "Yeah, no, you're staying at our place. We'll pick you up at the airport." Then they flew up to Sydney and they stayed at our place for the the two nights while the Sydney shows were on, and then we flew to Brisbane together and we stayed in this caravan park. <laughs> I think we had a I think we had a budget of about forty dollars left by the time Brisbane rolled around for food and everything else. Um, but yeah, it was just an insane week. It yeah. Yeah. One abs- hell of a week. Absolutely. Did you go I can't remember if you were at the because um, the Maiden fan club had a, a meet in Sydney down at the rocks at one of the hotels down there. Did you go to that? I can't remember if I remember if you were No, there or I not. missed I I missed that one. Yeah. Um, I I actually was still working in between shows. Ah, gotcha. You're being to res- try to try and keep, trying to keep funding, you know, wife and, and two young kids. And, oh, that's it. Yeah. yeah, three kids, three kids back then. Yeah, you and, you're being far more responsible. Young. 
far more responsible than me. Well, <laughs> it was only very borderline responsible, I tell you. But no, I didn't get to that one. But the big global meetup in Melbourne at the Corner Hotel yeah. was, uh, was an amazing event. Oh, that was incredible. That was incredible. Just, uh, yeah, just just a great, great vibe around the place and a lot of electricity with just so many people, especially for that because I'm, it was a, there was obviously a crew of people that went to the Perth show as well. But for the most part, everybody was there. That I mean, without discrediting Perth, which ev- everyone appears to do all the time, that yeah. that first night in Melbourne was definitely felt like the first night of the Australian tour. Uh, you know, definitely. And it just that that feeling around the place with everybody everybody there was just it was just an incredible incredible feeling. And then that first night in Sydney as well, um, where they had the full. Well, what was called Acer Arena at the time, and the entire place was opened up for it, and it was just everyone was over at the at the old Novotel pub beforehand, and and just yep. every, everywhere you looked, you, there was just somebody that you recognised, somebody that you knew, and and it was just it got to a point, and and I I'm slightly embarrassed to say it, but I mean we we didn't see the support band at all because I think that was Bring Me the Horizon, I think <laughs> in in Sydney, which was. Behind- a, Behind Crimson Eyes. Oh, behind Crimson Eyes. That's right. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yes. And that was a train wreck. Yeah, I don't. Yeah. Anyway, the, the, the um. <laughs> that's another story. The, yeah, that's right. The support uh, selections for maiden tours aren't crash hot. I mean, at least at least Melbourne and Perth got Vanishing Point, which is which is pretty pretty good. But uh, apart from that, uh, yeah, they don't. I, yeah, I don't understand. But anyway, um. We, 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 well, we, unless you're over somewhere else and you get the likes of Anthrax, you know. Like, oh, yeah, in South America at the moment. That's just, yeah, yeah incredible. But, um, yeah, it's, uh, I didn't, um, we didn't go see the support bands, but someone had to tap me on the shoulder and remind me that Maiden was about to start and we had to walk over and it almost got to a point where I was saying, oh, damn, like already? Because <laughs> we're, we're having so much fun just socialising. stop drinking. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Remove yourself from the bar. <laughs> you can stop. You can talk later. It's like, oh, damn it. Exactly. Maiden's playing, yeah. like first world problems. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and uh, was it that tour that, did you jump up on stage with them? Yes, second night in Sydney. Yeah, yeah. So can you. Yeah. Um, Heaven can wait. Can you walk me through what what the process was, how you actually got that and, and what you what you had to do on the night? That was that was through the fan club. I I my my Daniel Mason, the the guy that used to run the Beast Down Under forums, he wasn't going the second night. So I grabbed a heap of guys together, we saw threw in some money, bought him a ticket for the second night. He put then seeing he got the second night, he then put in to get to win Heaven Can Wait on stage, which you had to go through on the fan club. And he was the one that actually won it, and you're allowed to bring the guest up on stage. Yeah, right. So I'm at work. I'm at work at out at Darling Harbour, and he rings me up. He goes, "Dude, I just got the email. I've won Heaven Can Wait. You organised me the ticket. I'm taking you with me." <laughs> and I'm like, "Fuck yes, <laughs> unreal, amazing!" And not ten minutes later, I split net open and just blood gushing everywhere. It's a whole different story. Right. Okay. <laughs> So I get taken off site, go to the medical centre, get patched up, come home, jump on the computer, check my emails, bang, I've won it as well. Oh. <laughs> so I, I rang him, I said, dude, guess what? I've won it as well. He's like, sweet. So we organised a couple of mates, Adrian and a couple of the others, and we said, right, we're the four of us, we're going up there. So <laughs> sweet. 
So the night, I think it was, yeah, it was the second night, the 10th, yeah. it's 10th of yeah. And they're like, you know, go to the box office, collect your little sticker during, I can't remember the song preceding it now. Actually, I think it was during uh, Rhyme of the Ancient Mariner. We had to go around to door two, I think it was, at Acer at the mm-hmm. time, show them our pass, and they lead us in backstage. Yeah. So you're, you're standing there backstage, and we were right behind, uh, I think it was Michael Kenny at the time on keyboards for yeah. them, and we're standing there, and there's a group of us standing there, and like through this very sheer curtain, there's Iron Maiden, and we're just, I'm just standing there going, this is just surreal. <laughs> <laughs> I, just, I, couldn't, I couldn't believe it. I, honestly, I could not believe it. And he goes, right, when I tell you, I'm going to pull the curtain back and then you go, go, go. And when we tell you, you get off, you don't fuck around, you get off or you won't ever. You, or, or, yeah, it was really strict. It's yeah. Like, on, off and don't do anything or whatever. <laughs> so heaven can wait starts up and it comes up to the chorus and we all see we know, we know it's coming and the, the curtain gets pulled back and bang it's a rush on the stage everybody goes towards Steve I spotted Bruce somewhere near the centre and I just sort of headed that way <laughs> uh, but Bruce ended up hiding behind one of the sarcophaguses that were on stage and we're there doing the whoa 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 during heaven can wait and next thing I feel this bang whack into my shoulder and I turn around and it's Bruce hiding oh. behind the sarcophagus. He'd come up and bumped into me during the and I and it, it, but in, in the blink of an eye, he was gone again. It yeah, was right. Absolutely amazing. And as we as we were walking off stage, uh, Yannick's guitar tech standing there, and I just pointed. And there was one of Yannick's wristbands sitting on the headstock of one of his guitars, and I just pointed. And he picked it up and he handed it to me as oh. I was walking off stage. <laughs> <laughs> wow. And I, to this day, it sits by the place uh, next to my PC. It's, yeah. And then we, we got to sit basically side of stage for the rest of the show. Oh, that's the best cool. seats in the house. It, yeah. was, it was an amazing, amazing experience. That's incredible. Absolutely amazing. Yeah. Was there anything I that, remember it like it was yesterday. Was there any strict rules that they had? Like, obviously, they mentioned before you went on, just you know, no, no stuffing around on stage or anything like that. But leading up to it, like even on the email that you got, was there any any T's and C's associated with it, or anything that you guys were had to be told beforehand just to avoid any chaos, or or was it more of a case of once you were there, they sort of just quickly ran through it and, and didn't stuff around too much? It was basically collect your pass. You'll get your instructions in an envelope. And it was just a printed instruction, meet the representative at door, I can't remember what door yeah. it was, uh, during this song, which I think was Rhyme of the Ancient Mariner. I can't remember the set list in order at the time, but I think it was during Rhyme of the Ancient Mariner. We had to meet the representative. They marked a roll sort of thing and they said, look, this is the deal. No phones, no this and whatnot on stage. You can get it as, as close to the guys as you want, but do not grab them or touch them in any way. Yep. Uh, by all means, put your arm around them. That is about the only exception. Yeah. If you're lucky enough to get close, and it's usually Steve that's the only one that's there, yeah. uh, he doesn't mind you putting his arm, but don't grab or pull or, or try to do anything yeah. untowards. Don't, don't, uh, don't start was, cutting off bits of his hair or anything like that. <laughs> yeah, don't go ripping at wristbands or guitar picks. Steve uses picks, but... You know, don't go trying to rip his, his, his guitar strap or you know, yeah, yeah. whatever off him. You know, yeah, it's just don't be a dick, basically. Yeah, <laughs> but apart from that, it was it was fairly strict. Uh, when they seated us side of stage, uh, we couldn't get our phones out to film or take photos. 
which I thought was a bit strange because the people in the like two rows away from us wouldn't have even been six foot. Mm. They could sit there with their phone and film the whole set. But yeah. because we were sitting in this special area, um, security is like, no, nah, put your phone away, no yeah, filming. Yeah. Like, yeah, okay. <laughs> a small, a small <laughs> price to pay, I guess. Yes, definitely, <laughs> definitely. Did you did you get to meet them at all, like later on, or no? Just nah. wasn't a, wasn't a ch- chance. Nah. Yeah. Look, not a not a chance. I I tried to stalk them for nearly six hours in Melbourne at the hotel. Yeah. The first night in Melbourne to try and meet them. Um, caught a quick glimpse of Yannick and Adrian coming down an elevator. Yeah. But by the time we got to the ground level, they were already gone and in a taxi. So yeah, no, I never actually got to meet them. Although a lot of people that I know did, lucky buggers. But um, yeah. yeah, I remember. Um... I remember seeing it might have been the night before the the Brisbane show, and there's a bunch of guys and a few people that I knew that uh, must have caught a a whiff of of them being in town, and they end up. I, I'm pretty sure it wasn't after the show. I'm pretty sure it was the night before. I could be wrong, but that no, couldn't have been the night before because they're in they're in Sydney the night before. But um, anyway, whatever it was, they're at um, they're at one of the bars in the middle of Brisbane just drinking. And they all yep. and a whole bunch of people found out and went down there and they were all having having beers with Steve and Bruce and and a few of the other guys. I don't know if all of them were there, but I just I remember seeing a few photos pop up online the following day and just went, Oh, damn it. <laughs> yeah. No, it, it it happens a lot. They they just sort of wander out after the show for for a drink or you know, on their night off. They just sort of wander out into a bub into a pub or a bar somewhere and they don't really have a lot of minders or security with them. They're, they're fairly easy going guys, from what I've seen. Yeah, yeah. I guess uh, from their point of view, they can they can handle themselves when it gets a bit crazy. They can just get out of there pretty pretty quickly. And and I think it'd be yeah. it'd be awesome if you were like one of the first people in there, and the place is pretty quiet, and then they come in. So you've got like that well, first opportunity just to have a beer with them and have a quick chat before everyone finds out and comes in and starts swarming them. But, that is, that, yeah, that'd be an amazing. Ten minutes or, or fifteen minutes, wouldn't it? Just to sit there and you know, pick the brains of Bruce Dickinson or, or Steve Harris would be just yeah. Absolutely. And are you gonna go and see them on this tour? I assume that's probably a very dumb question. <laughs> <laughs> yes, very 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 much so. Very much so. <laughs> and have you have you managed to score yourself a, a photo pass for it? I'm trying. I've got applications and, and requests in. Um Fingers crossed that they come to fruition. Yep, cool. That'll be a that'll be a bucket list. Ah, oh, mate. People, somebody asked me the other day, "What are your, your top five bands you want to shoot?" I said, "Iron Maiden, Iron Maiden, Iron Maiden, Iron Maiden, and Iron Maiden." <laughs> <laughs> and if you want to know the next five, it repeats the top five. <laughs> oh well, so, yeah. well, fingers crossed, yeah. and, and you've—I mean—you've had a pretty good. Uh, pretty good run of some pretty high profile bands over the last sort of at well, definitely over the last six to twelve months. Um yeah, so you're definitely. I think you're I think you're in uh, a good position to to hopefully nab it. So I'll be um I'll be cheering from the sidelines if uh, if and when uh, you, you get that get that uh, green light because uh, it'd be very cool to see especially given how big of a fan you are. Oh, mate, you I think what, you're down the south coast now. I think you'd hear me screaming from from there, mate. The day I get the email saying I've got it. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. Well, yeah. if um, if if it ends up happening, we'll have to we'll have to um, 
throw something on online just to so it's a bit of a follow-up thing so people will be curious to see if it end up happening or not and we'll we'll put a few pictures up maybe you'll have to do like a big selfie of you uh of you in front of the stage or something with your camera <laughs> which might be a bit blasphemy saying selfie with uh with you know your your type of camera but it'll still it'll still work i'm, I'm sure i could find somebody along the barrier there that would would be happily to take a photo of me in front of the stage. Sounds good. Sounds good. Well, there's, I think, probably, there's a good chance you could be my son. So yeah, Reese could be. There's a good chance he, he swears blind he's going to get on the barrier for this show. So <laughs> fingers uh, crossed he'll be on that side and I'll be on the other. Sounds good. Sounds good. Well, that's my uh, that's my perfect segue <laughs> into your photography. <laughs> Did you like that? That's a good segue. Oh, you done well. Yeah, yeah. I'm learning. I'm learning. I'm getting better. Yeah, <laughs> So a few years ago, you started doing band photography, doing uh, a lot of live shows sort of around the local traps. Now, I can't remember exactly how long ago it was because it's a bit of a blur now. I remember you at at some shows taking photos and I remember you at other shows not taking photos and I can't remember exactly where it sort of started. But what I guess my question would be, well, when what was the first show you, you took photos of and what got you into it anyway? I mean, were you already taking photos around the traps beforehand? Uh, was it just a natural progression to start doing it, blending the two loves together, or what was there something else that just sort of got you going? I've had a fascination with photography for a long time, since I was a kid. Hmm. Uh, always always loved it, you know. You just, I think you were the one that said a, a virtual memory document, you know, and <laughs> that's, that's exactly, I, I, you know, I've always loved, you know, creating that, you know, taking photos and, and whatnot, and I got lucky one year with a, a good sized tax return and had a, a, a bit of spare dollars and I thought I'm going to buy myself. I've always wanted an SLR camera, you know, mm. I've always wanted uh, the old film SLRs and uh, by the time I could afford one, it had already gone into the digital age. So I went and bought a digital camera and started just taking photos mm. and then just generally looking online and everything else come along and I, I Anwar, you had him on earlier. Yeah. He, you know, I, I seen some of his stuff and I, I just, I think he photographed, I can't remember, it may have been Kiss mm. way back when, 2010, 2011, something like that. Yeah. And, and, and I thought, oh, man, what, how good would that be to, to, to combine my passion for, for, for heavy metal and music to and, and the photography and, and I want to do that. Mm. So I, I got chatting to Anwar and just sort of, progressed on to that and he's like go and see what you can do and this is what you basically need as a basic setup to, to do it see how you go so and the very first show i done was was you guys actually at uh, Liverpool PCYC alright okay yeah right. so uh, with, I remember that with yeah 2012 I think it was yep with electric dynamite Camaria and Camaria. There's somebody else, but I can't remember the other band. Killer Bill. Yes. Yep. With with Blake Casiris. Yep. On bass. Yes. Yep. Yes. Uh, And uh, yeah, that was my very first experience at at taking photos of a live show. And then I sort of that year, I think that was was it the. Digital now. What top tour would that have been? I can't. No, yeah, it would have been digitalized, but it was just before the digitalized before the album got released. Before the release, that's right. Yeah, and I I sort of followed you guys around, sort of Liverpool, Wollongong, Sydney, and just sort of 
yeah, just practiced and practiced on, on you guys, and it, it just sort of grew from there. I just, I really enjoyed it. I, I loved it. You know, coming home and, and looking and seeing if you've got that shot, you know, that you just look back and go, wow, you know, that was <laughs> that was that was good. Yeah, and it, it sort of progressed from there. And then uh, thanks to uh, Brian Giffen from Loud and and Anwar at Metal Obsession, I've been given opportunities to shoot some of the uh, the bigger names to grace our shores. Mm, mm, absolutely, and I mean it's it's funny because I could have sworn you got started at least doing the the live stuff long before then, but uh, you know that's only that's not even four years ago. So yeah, I mean because that would have been that Liverpool show would have been. The second half of 2012, so I don't know what mm-hmm. month, but I'm saying September or October possibly. So yeah, yeah. roughly around that time. So yeah, you haven't. I mean, three and a half years is it's incredible because you know. I mean, I I do remember that show. I remember you taking photos of that show, and but then not long after that, you you was you would still. I think you you got a great name in the local local scene where you're always out at shows taking photos of the local guys and the local sort of even from the Australian sort of bands coming through town and and doing the shows and whatnot and I think that sort of really got word out there but before before I knew it sort of like the blink of an eye you were doing all these international shows and then it got to a point where not too long ago you were you were going all over the place you know taking photos for uh, of Kiss when they when they last toured and and doing a lot of really great great shows for, for big touring companies. And it's just, I sort of went, oh, what happened? <laughs> it just, <laughs> it, it was, it was almost like a blink of an eye the way that it happened. But I mean, obviously it's not something that you just, it just happens and you, it's purely luck. I mean, you've, you've put a lot in over the last few years to, to get, to get the opportunities that you get now. Um, and you mentioned like people like Anwar and, and Brian from Loud who, who obviously helped uh, sort of secure a lot of these a lot of these gigs along the way. But is there is there anything else that you sort of did to sort of make sure that you you were in the right place at the right time and made sure that you were in the in the topic of conversation when it came for people looking for a photographer? And the reason why I ask that is because there, there's so many people out there that that take photos. There's so many people that. Um, you know, uh, will class themselves as a photographer. A lot of people that work for magazines, whether it be like a freelance sort of thing or whether they work in an even more professional capacity, there's, there is a, a fair bit of competition out there. So what, I don't know whether it was a conscious thing that you did, but was there something that you sort of had to do or felt that you needed to do to make sure that you're in the topic of conversation for these types of things? Oh, I, I, I don't think so. I, yeah. I, I, I don't. Really, think I I done anything special? I mean, in in, in the early days and and still today, the local shows are what I love. I I, I love going to see the bands, the, the local bands that I love, and and shoot them and have them share my photos and and have their profile pictures and you know, be it my photo or or anybody other any other photographers that get out there and shoot a live show. I think it, it's a great buzz, especially for me because I'm I'm. Also a fan of the band mm. that, that I go. I, I don't go and, and, and shoot a band just to impress somebody or, or get in the good books with a certain promoter or, or whatever. If you've put on a good lineup of bands that I like, I'm going to come and I'm going to take photos and I'm going to enjoy it and I'm going to put them up online and, and try and help 
the local bands, the local scene get healthier, which will then improve the national scene, which will improve the international scene, mm. and it'll it'll improve the metal scene as a whole. Yeah. Um, I, I remember way back when, when I first started, I was shooting a lot of local shows, and I was pestering Brian with with a lot of content, giving him stuff to try and work my way in to get the, the local shows. You, know, you, you can't just turn up and say, hi, I, I have a camera, can I go and photograph band XYZ? Mm. It, it, it doesn't happen. You, you've got to get out there and prove in, in the dirty, dark pubs and of the local scene. I, I don't mean to sound wanky in any sort of way in that, in that sense. You, you can't just do that. You've got to I don't know, earn your stripes. It's a, bit, it's a bit like an opening band. You know, a young up-and-coming band gets given the opportunity to, to, to play with Lord as, as, a, as a, a, an opening band. And two years later, well, they're playing second band under Lord. You know what I mean? They, they've worked their way through the ranks. And the same goes with you know, the local photographers. And I think that's if, – if you want it bad enough and you work hard enough, you can you can get it. There's definitely no financial gain in it whatsoever. You know, I might make a few dollars you know, selling a print to a fan, but that's about it. Um, but in that, in saying that, you build up a reputation with the local bands. They approach you to do you know, a press kit for them or a promotional pack for them, and you know, or I've just done with with Temptress their their new CD coming out. Um, all, all the imagery that they're using to promote that and, and in with the CD, you know, you, you can earn a, a couple of dollars in in that aspect. And I mean, you've definitely, I, I think the thing that works to your advantage is that, I mean, just from from what you told me over the years and, and what you just said then is that you've done this to fulfil an enjoyment and and look at it as a, as a bit of a hobby and do something that you enjoy doing and there's a genuine approach to it. You haven't gone in there to, to say, oh, well, there's a way that I can make some money off this and I can supply, I can, and it's like a business sort of approach to it. You've, you've as you said before, you've combined two loves, uh, two passions and and made something that uh, that encompasses both of them and increases the the joy factor with it all and and as a result you've been able to you know find more opportunities because of it and more things that that fulfill it so it's not uh, you know just from what you're saying it's not about making money because it's that's not an easy thing to do i think it's not an easy thing to do regardless of um of any any type of service or or any type of art or anything of the such but um but yeah, yeah i mean i think i think that your genuine approach to it and the fact that you i think everybody knows that everybody who's seen you at shows and and sees your stuff online everybody knows that you're a gigantic music fan and you're a massive supporter of of local artists and i think that's i think that's part of the charm i think that's why a lot of people gravitate towards what you do and and mm. uh, and approach you and whatnot because because there's no ulterior motive there to to try and get some dollars out of people yeah no nah, that's if, if anything it's the other way is to try and help help get them some dollars yeah. You know, to, to, to raise, you know, to, to try and raise some interest or an awareness in their upcoming show or, you know, to, to, to put a photo of, of, of you up, you know, and you've got a gig coming up, I'll, I'll go to the event page 
nine times out of ten, I'll, I'll put a photo of, of Lord up on, on the event page to try and help generate the numbers, to try and get a few more punters through the door, to try and rebuild a, a, a crippling scene here in Sydney, which is, you know, everybody's going to try and do their own little bit. And, and it's just like any of the bands today that, that are playing the local circuit, uh, I'm fairly certain 99.9% of them aren't making any money. But, but they, they're, they're probably just covering costs. Oh, you know, they're, they're, dig, they're, they're digging into their own pockets to produce CDs, to produce merch, to sell CDs, to sell merch, to make new CDs and make new merch. Mm. It's it's not like they're driving around in BMWs and living on at more clues on, on you know what I mean. Like, they they do it because they love it. Oh, absolutely, yeah. absolutely, and that's probably why it works so well because there's that I guess that like minded approach where nobody's in it for um for for higher gain at, at the expense of anything else. It's it's a case of everyone's everyone works hard because they love it, and if anything more comes of it, then it's. You know, it's 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 icing on the cake, and it's it's a bonus. Yeah, it's a bonus. There. yeah, yeah, absolutely, yeah, absolutely. Um, on the whole topic of, I guess, being heavily a part of, well, I guess I was just going to say the local scene, but I guess in general, even with you know some of these bigger shows that you take photos of, are there any particular, um, I was going to say challenges, but even pet peeve peeves of, of certain things that just absolutely make your life difficult as a, as a photographer, the things that, whether it be while taking photos or even afterwards, what are there certain things that just really make, uh, really make it difficult at times? This is the, where, the only thing, this is yeah, where you can rant. That, <laughs> the only thing that, that really makes it difficult, that makes our job as, as, as live music photographers difficult, depending, okay, let, let's look at the local show. The local show is difficult because they don't have the production, they don't have the lighting, they don't have the, the, the what they need to create that image. Mm. They don't have you know, to create an image. You need light. Without light, you, you can't create an image. And if you do, it's going to look like shit. Mm. Um, which is why you'll often see me. I'll, I'll have a rant. Fucking red lights or fucking shit lights or hey, Mister Light Guy, we need to see the band, not the fucking, not just a silhouette of them. You know what I mean? <laughs> uh, and I'll often walk into a local venue and you know the band will start playing and fuck, there's nothing at the front of the stage. All the lights behind the band, so all you're seeing is a shadow on stage. Yeah. And I'll often, I'll often walk up to the to the the lighting guy or the sound guy, whoever's doing it, and say, hey, dude, can we just throw a bit of white light at the front? Have your colours at the back and at the sides, but just give us a bit of white light at the front so we can see their faces, mm. so we know who we're, we're seeing. Yeah, and 99% of them will go, yeah, cool, man, no worries, and they'll and they'll put a bit of white light. Happy days. Yeah, you know, and not just me as a photographer. I've spoken to people that, that go to shows, fans that go, and they're like, we, we, we don't want to stare at a wall of light. We want to see the band. Yeah. Yeah, you know, we don't want to stand here and watch these shadows on stage play songs that we can hear on a CD. <laughs> you know, um, that's so that's the biggest challenge of a, of a local show. Mm. Um, of of the, the bigger shows, uh, a lot of them can be contractual releases that you need to sign um, in regards to the artist claiming that they own the photos that you take, and we have to give them all our photos and they can use them as they want without paying for it and, and this, that and the other. 
Uh, I recently refused to, to shoot a show because I got a request from management for every image I took at the venue, not just of the artist. Every image I shot at the venue during that night to be supplied to them within five working days, all digital files that I shot. I, for what reason? Oh, we might want to use them for promotional use and this, that, and the other. And I'm like, no, sorry. As much as that artist uh, in um, respects their work, I respect mine. And I'm not going to hand over every photo I've taken to you for free. Mm. Um, to, to then to go on and make more money out of what I've done. Will you give me 200 of, of, of their CDs to go and sell for free? No. Yeah, that's a that's an interesting one, isn't it? Because I, I, I'm only taking an assumption here, but they they're not pay, paying you a fee to rock up and take photos. I mean, they're they're pretty much giving no. they're giving you the privilege of free entry to take take shots of them, and then they're well, taking. No, a, I could I, I could only photograph the first song, and then I had to leave. Yeah, right. So so I'm there's not I'm much there in, for, <laughs> there's not much in it for you at all. <laughs> And, and, and I couldn't use the images for any sort of promotional work for myself. Yeah. Now, if 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 a local band come up to me and said, Nick, can you come and shoot our show and, and give us 50 photos that we can use online for promotional use and whatever, I, mate, not a problem. Mm. Give me free entry and buy me a beer and I'll do it. But if you're a big international touring artist that's making millions of dollars a year, and you expect a, a photographer that's not getting paid, that has to pay for his own gear, pays for his petrol, pays for his fuel, pays for his parking, pays for everything to get there. You give him entry and you want to take everything, all his work off him? Mm. No, come on. Let, let's, let's be fair dinkum. Yeah. That's, um, it definitely, mm. definitely gives a, a clear sign of what uh, value they put in, in that service, uh, which, is, which is nil. Because yeah. they're they're not valuing anything that's been put into it whatsoever. They're taking the final product, and and if anything, in a lot of cases, you know, if you wouldn't wouldn't be the only person they're taking photos either. So no. there's a, there's probably a really high chance that they probably never use any of the shots that uh, that you take photos of, and they just they just collect dust virtually, and. Mm. Uh, and the whole thing's a waste of time, uh, apart from you getting in there and getting to watch one song <laughs> uh, and take photos but, for one song, and and that's it. And it's just, oh yeah, I mean that's that that'd be a huge by insult. By the same token, by the same token, they could whack it on a live CD cover or a live DVD DVD cover, sell two or three million copies worldwide, and you wouldn't get anything from it. And they're going to get, you know, if, if they got a dollar a copy. Mm, mm. They've made themselves two or three million dollars off my imagery. Absolutely, or throw it on a shirt and sell it for twenty five bucks a shirt. And it, it'd be um, interesting to see whether, um, even if it got if it got to a point like that, while there's bugger all chance you you would ever get any money from it, whether you would even at the very least get any form of credit for it, which would be probably unlikely as well if they're conducting themselves that way in the first place. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, that that that's one of the, the big hurdles we, we you face you know, with the bigger bands. But yeah. a lot of them are just ninety percent of them are just like yeah, cool. Yeah, you know, three songs, no flash, blah blah blah. Yep, no the deal, buddy. Uh, occasionally you might get a security guard that can't count 
and he tries <laughs> to say, yeah, after the second song or, you know, quite often if you get the second song, it might have a, a, a low point somewhere in the middle of the song and then kicks off again. Yeah. They think, oh, that's the three songs that you get. Like, no, dude, that was, that was only two. We can count, we know the rules. And they're like, no, out you get, out you get. And you get bars <laughs> out of the pit after two songs. And you're like, dude, really? <laughs> yeah. Or you get like we had with Killer Be Killed at Soundwave where they pulled us out after one song because it was just too dangerous. Yeah, right. What What was that? Just because of people coming over the barrier or? Coming over the barrier and the, the extra security that they had to pull in there. There was no room for us. It was too dangerous for it's us. Too many people. Too dangerous to get- it was too dangerous for security. It was just bodies flying everywhere. Wow. Right. Okay. Yeah. Hmm. So we got one song of Killer Be Killed and out. <laughs> Definitely adds to the um, the atmosphere with something like that. I mean, at least at least in a situation like that, it's, it's pretty much just a, a set of circumstances that are out of most people's control. I mean, they probably should have had a bit of foresight to to make sure that there's sufficient room, but, um, you know, that's that's more of an uncontrollable situation as opposed to somebody who can't count or somebody with some crazy mm. crazy requ- requests or rules or, or legalities or anything like that. So do you find it uh, yeah. do you find it frustrating that, especially, I mean, you never get it on a local scene. I'd be very surprised. Actually, I'd, I'd love... I'd laugh if this ever happened in the local scene. If it ever does, please tell me. But do you find it frustrating with uh, at times with the international bands where you're only allowed to take photos for the first three songs? Because I think I understand why they do it. I think they want everyone to look pretty while they still aren't sweating their balls off and uh, and get everybody out out of the way before, uh, you know, an hour into the set where everyone's looking a bit worse for wear. But, yeah. um, but do, do you, does that frustrate you at all or do you – are you happy with – is it – I mean, it gets the job done. You get enough shots, and that's okay. And you can you can stand back after that, or what's the... no? I, I fully re- I fully respect it, and I understand it. Uh, you mentioned Kiss earlier. We only got the first two songs with Kiss in, in Newcastle, uh, yeah. but we were more than welcome to come back in and watch the rest of the show, which is fine. We had to put out leave our camera gear you know, in the cloakroom, yep. and, and more than welcome to come back in and watch the show. Other bands, you can shoot the first three from inside the, the, the photo pit. And then you're more than welcome to shoot the rest of the set from anywhere in the venue. You know, you're allowed that media access. You can shoot the whole show, but you can only do the first three from inside the pit. Then go and shoot it from anywhere you want in the crowd. Go for it. Others are like, no, first three, and then you're out, cloak your gear and come back in. Um, uh, Epica. Uh, um, we could take photos from the crowd after the first three, uh, which was good. Uh, Nightwish, we could take some from from outside the crowd. Uh, it all depends on the band, and and you know, I, I respect their, their their wishes. They've worked hard to build their image. And they don't want some chatty photographer getting a photo of them with you know their, their face all distorted and makeup running everywhere, and you know just portraying a bad image. So I, I can respect that in in that sense. Yeah, absolutely. Maybe I should start you know, doing that when when we play shows. You can only take photos for the first three, then you have to piss off. Don't, I don't want quite o- <laughs> quite quite often. I'll, I'll do that at a local show too. If yeah, it's right. a good sized crowd, I'll I'll only shoot the first two or three songs, and then I'll move away from the front of the, the barrier and, and or the front of the stage area, and and let the punters in there and, and let them go. And you know, I'll take the few from up the back, and you know, and then just sit back and watch the rest of the set. Well, it's probably probably a good way to approach it because I mean to start off with you're getting getting those close up shots out of the way to begin with, and you've yeah. and you, everybody's pretty fresh and everyone's enthusiastic at the start, so you're probably going to get a lot more, 
I was trying to think of a better word than sort of action shots, but you're going to get yep. you're going to get a lot more out of the band on stage for the first few songs anyway to begin with, and then, as you said, you move move back and you're taking more sort of ambient shots of the of the crowd in in the in the venue and getting more of a take of what the atmosphere is um, you know, around the stage, not just what's happening directly on the stage. So, oh, yeah, no, no, yeah, it's a good good approach. Yeah. Um, I'm just trying to think if I had something else I was going to ask you and I completely forgot now. Um, or were you looking for or were you looking for another segue? <laughs> no, <laughs> I wasn't. I, I, I didn't even think of, of how I do the next segue actually. But the, one of the other things I was going to ask is um, – well, two things. Was there anybody in particular? I know you mentioned Anwar to begin with, who you sort of um, sort of looked to as far as a, I guess a benchmark or somebody that you wanted to be able to at least get to that sort of level of of uh, photography to take live shots. Mm. Was there anybody else or any other sort of influences or anything like that that you sort of drew upon, whether it be local or, or global? I've I've always had a, a great respect for Ross Halford, yep. just with his association with Iron Maiden. Yeah. Uh, him, uh, John McMurphy, uh, both again Iron Maiden, but but not just Ross Halfen for his for his Maiden stuff. For, it's just for his general scene. Like he, he is to me, he is the the, the heavy metal photographer. Mm, yeah. um, you know, from from White Snake to Black Sabbath, from Guns and Roses to to Iron Maiden, he's 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 covered them all. You know, and and they 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 don't just say, oh yeah, Ross is here first three in the pit. They're like Ross, you're on tour with us. You're going to document the whole lot, you know. And they does sound check. It, it's just he he is, you know, Mister Heavy Metal, you know, as far as I'm concerned, is in that sort of photography sort of yeah. genre. He's incredible. He's um, I think what makes at least for me, what makes me a big fan of his work is that. The, the live stuff that he does take is great, but it's all that – it's exactly what you said, being on the road and, and all those candid photos and the photos yeah. of, of the band and, and you know, the sound checks and being on the road and all the antics. And it's not even – even from an antics point of view, it's not like getting any sort of incriminating crazy photos or anything. It's just – it's that candidness that, that just makes his shots just incredible. And, and then obviously, you know – the stuff tied in with all the live, the incredible live stuff that he does. Because I think the big thing that he, I noticed with his uh, his photography is that a lot of his photos that he takes really puts puts the viewer in perspective of what's going on on stage. Like it's not just a case of like you know he's he's do, he's done Metallica for years and you see it, you might see a picture of James Hetfield and go, oh yeah, it's just James Hetfield on stage. But the way that he takes a shot is it shows the magnitude of of this larger than life presence. His personality on a larger than life stage in a large setting with everything else around him, and it, it just it, it magnifies what you're actually looking at. It's not just this person on a stage and that's it. And you know those famous crowd photos, and he's done that for all the bands. You know the massive perspective mm. shots from behind the stage, behind the drum riser. You know the shots of the side shots where they're sort of you know playing to the crowd, and you can see half the crowd, half the stage, and just an incredible photographer. Like I'm a massive fan with of uh, of what he's done. So, and that's something yeah, that I was just going to say really quickly as well. Going back to the candid thing, I've noticed that with with uh, a lot of stuff that you do as well, especially from the local scene, is that you have made an effort. And this is probably one thing that many other photographers don't do. 
um, at least in in the Australian music scene, where you've you have gone around and taken photos of the punters, you've taken photos of the of the people in the crowd singing along and getting into it, or even having beers and smiles on their faces and enjoying themselves and and really documenting and and I think you've done a great job of at least in Sydney anyway to really show what it can be like uh, to go out and see live music and. I think more if more people did that, especially from a photographer point of view, where, yeah, okay, it's great to it's great to document and and promote the artists and 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 see everything that's happening on stage, but to get a feel of what it's like to walk into a, a live venue and see live music and the people that are there, it, I mean, you've you've definitely made a conscious effort of that over the last couple of years, especially by um by really highlighting that. And I, I always wish that more more photographers did that. Yeah, I mean that's. That's the whole package, you know. What I mean, it's it's like Ross getting the crowd shot at Maiden just because Maiden are in the foreground. It's it's the fifty thousand people behind him that make the show, and it's the same when it's, whether it's five, ten, fifteen, twenty, or fifty at a local Sydney show. They're what make the show, and and over the years, I've got to know some of these these, these guys and girls, and. There's there's some great characters out there, <laughs> you know. They they really are. They they and it's like I don't know, how would you describe? It's like a family reunion, especially if you haven't had a gig for a while. You know, you rock up and everybody knows everybody, and everybody's a mate, everybody's a brother, everybody's a sister. It's 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 hugs, it's fives, it's beers, it's it's yeah, it's it's something that's it, it's it's a special thing to be a part of. Uh, and to be able to capture that and share it with everybody is, is you know, I, I love doing it. I think that's a big thing that makes, that I think is a great way and, and not to do it consciously in for that purpose. I mean, I've, I remember over the years getting, always asking you going, oh, make sure you get pictures of people in, you know, Lord shirts and, and take pictures of the crowd and, and people enjoying themselves because from our point of view, and I was, quite trying to be a little bit strategic about it but I wanted people to understand what going to a Lord show was all about I want I wanted them to see yeah okay there's, there's a bunch of guys on stage having fun um, mm. and we'll put on a show but if you come along there's more to it than just that they're, you're gonna have a good night there there are good people there you know and there's a great social atmosphere and and whatnot and and you certainly helped us do that, um, you know, in the times that you've been able to take photos for us. And I really, I always say this to other people out there and even just to other bands, other musicians, and I say, you know, if you if you guys are getting somebody to come along and take photos, really push them to take photos of other, other people that are there. And even if it's a if it's a measly turnout, it's not a big crowd, um, at least get, get a few candid shots of whether it be, you know, getting, you know, setting up or packing, packing down or... Um, even just the the punters that are there, and you, know, you can do the close up shot of just them, and and not make out how many people are in the room, but it's it's about just creating you know that that feeling of what it what it can be like, and you know there's a lot of couch potatoes, and a lot of people that sit on the fence and go, oh, I can't be able getting out, but if they see yeah. that everybody else is out there having a great time, then that you know it's it's human instinct. You kind of think, well, I want to be a part of that. I it looks like fun, and I don't want to miss out, so. I'll, I'll come out, and the and the bonus is that there's going to be a bunch of great bands playing as well. So, yeah, yeah. that's it. That's exactly it. Yeah, so I I love that, and I I think um, if there's any uh, budding photographers out there, I think that's a I think that's a one way to separate yourself from the crowd straight away is uh, is 
being there to document the the entire night, not just to document uh, who's on who's on stage. And I, I know that um, I've got I got a lot of those ideas from people like um, there's a guy he doesn't take too many photos these days, but um, old Daniel Farsky and or Daniel Farr, I should say, and he called himself Farsky. Yeah. And uh, he used to do a lot of the shots at the um, at uh, Club Venom in the city, and he and when it was called Blink as well. And he would just go around. These were, you know, for anybody who doesn't know what these are, these are just like sort of alternative music nights or metal nights. And you just go there as a DJ playing, and just go there and drink and 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 get messy. But he would go around and take photos of everybody. So it's very much like a club scene, you know, where you. A lot of the clubs out there, regardless of, of the genre, will have will hire photographers for the night to go around, and that's their promo angle. That's to show, you know, if you if you want a great night out at this club, then you come out and here's all the beautiful people and and everyone <laughs> and the, the drinks flowing or whatever. And and you might not be able to yep. get away with the the beautiful people side at a metal show. <laughs> there <laughs> are there, oh, there there's, a a, there's a few glamours there every once in a while, but <laughs> but it's it. That that concept of of promoting, uh, you know, promoting a setting and promoting a, a place is is something that I, I, f- I feel that it's still largely forgotten within the music scene, especially the metal scene in Australia. I think if more people really push that, then um, I think I think the numbers will naturally increase because of that. And and everyone loves the big thing with a lot of these clubs is they put all the photos online, and on the Sunday or the Monday or whatever it is, everybody's tagging each other in the pictures. They they they're checking up to see uh, if the photos from Club Venom have been put up or Blink or whatever the whatever the club is to, to quickly flick through and see if they can find any horrible incriminating photos or any photos where they're looking reasonably sober and, and good looking and they go and tag each other in them and that that creates a buzz it's in itself. So it's like it's like exactly what Maiden were doing as well, taking taking the photo of the of the crowd and everyone would scour the photo to see if they're in there and then go and tag themselves in there and share that photo around and get excited because they're they're in in a photo on that's posted on Iron, Iron Maiden's page, and yeah, it's all it's all that that people interaction. So yeah, yeah, it's, it's, like, it's like making the, the the back page of the Sunday paper the Sydney scene. You know, it's it's now just moved online now. You know, and if you can do that with a metal show and help build that metal show, well. Absolutely. So be it. Absolutely. Definitely. Well, I've got no, I've got no tangent, uh, no tangent, no, no uh, segue into the next section, but I'm going to hit you up anyway. Um, actually, yep. I've, I've got one. You mentioned your son before and uh, your, your son is Which one of one? I've got four of no, them. No, but you mentioned one of them earlier. Yep. <laughs> but he's one of many. So you've got a large Do family. Do you like this? I'm, I'm smoothly uh, sailing into the next, uh, next section here. Um, okay. So you've got an extremely large family. I can never, I can never remember how many kids you've got. How many kids you got in total? Six. Six. Yeah. Six. So, yes. Yeah. yeah. So uh, I've, um, I've popped. And around. yes, I own a television. <laughs> I've popped around a couple of times, and um, I've always been quite flawed what? with. Well, yeah. I mean, look, I whether it be growing up or, or going to other people's places with, with kids and most uh, most are either just stuck on the couch and won't bat an eyelid or they might uh, you know, they might be forced or prodded by the parents to be pleasant and say hello and that's about it. But you walk in the front door of your place and you, you, you're right, you get swarmed and it's uh, – <laughs> And you're getting pulled in every direction. It's like, oh, come over here. I've got something to show you. And oh, come into my room and, and and have a look at these toys or whatever. Or let me show you the the lizards or the snake. Oh, sorry, snakes that you guys have got. Snakes. Yeah. yeah. And uh, and it's just it's 
and I, I mean, the last time I was there, I was speaking with with Lisa, your wife, and um, and I was just getting pulled in every direction and just talked at my face, just trying to get me to to pay attention. I can't even remember who it was now, and and Lisa was just going, "Go away, just go away," and, and was not listening. Just kept coming back and then just tugging tugging at my at my like jeans and just going, ah, "Come over here, Andy, 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 Andy." <laughs> so. So you've you've done yeah. well. You've done well uh, uh, bringing up a very a very sociable family. Uh, they, they love people. They, yeah. it, it's whether it's Andy Dowling or the milk when it comes to the door. They're they <laughs> saying they're, they're saying hello. How you going? What's your name? They're they're in your face. They want to know what you had for lunch. They want to know what you had for dinner. They want to talk to you. They want to get to know you. They want to be your friend. They want to show you their toys. They want to share their world with you. And you know what? I don't have a problem with that. No, it's great. It's, I, I, it's refreshing. I, I, I prefer my children to do that than to just sit there and look at you and go hello and then just smile and sort of just stare blankly off into space. Okay. I, I, my, my kids have got their own personalities. They're their own little people. They just go. They enjoy life. They, they love their music as well. Um, and it's just, yeah. Like I said, it doesn't matter who it is, whether it's Andy Dowling or the Milkman, they're going to be in your face and say hello and want to show you their toys the way they are. And is it is it something that you you both consciously tried to not not the right word drill into them, but to try and guide them in the right direction to be more social, or is it just something that's come naturally to them and they've sort of fed off each other to be to be that particular way? Because they're they're all they're all extremely sociable kids they're it's incredible i mean sometimes you might have a family where maybe one or two of them are, are, are reasonably social and there's there's probably one or two that uh that are the opposite but um but yeah your kids all seem to be on the same page from the outside looking in anyway we 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 involve our children in a lot of things that we do um if we're doing something we try to involve the children with it it's it's they've always been part of what we're doing or or and we're always a part of what they're doing so if if that instills a, a social interaction in them you know we always encourage them to go out to meet friends you know to go and play their sport do their music go dancing uh, do whatever they're doing but to go out there enjoy it Meet new people, meet new friends. Don't be afraid to say hello. My name's Tyler, or hello. My name's Kai, or my name's Grace. To go out there and and enjoy life, and meet people, and just have friends and be social. Mm. Um, we have friends over for dinner, or we have friends for for drinks, or what have you. Our kids are out in the backyard with us. Yeah, you know, and and until a certain point of time at night where we go like that's it, bedtime. You know, we don't shun them indoors to sit in front of a television you know if we're sitting out the back with a couple of friends of ours having a few drinks and a barbecue well our kids are out there too yeah they're out there they're not having drinks and barbecue well they're not having barbecue they're having drinks but you know they're out there being part of it they'll have their their own bowl of chips they'll have their own cups of cordial and they'll have their own social interaction you know with the other couple's children or just amongst themselves yeah it's it's just what we do. Yeah. No, it's it's um, it's one well, thing. There's too many of them <laughs> for us to, to deal with on our own, so we let them deal with each other. <laughs> now that's some smart parenting. <laughs> it's um, but I think one thing that I've noticed, I mean, when you know the times that I've come over, and even 
been out and about and and uh, and seen them is that I think and you'll you'll be able to tell me if if there's any ever a case where there's somebody who isn't quite like that and isn't is probably a bit more of a an introvert. I think they Oh yeah, that, that's exactly what I was going to say. They they bring it out of them. They bring it out of the person, and you know, someone might not feel like talking a great deal, or or <laughs> doesn't really want to say or interact a, a lot. But um, they'll they'll bring it out of them, and they'll and they don't do it. They don't. It's just I can't even describe it. It's just such a genuine interest that they show in people, where they really want to just speak and and interact. Where it's not a case where. Mm. You know, there's a harassment where, you know, you might see some other kids that get bored and just start prodding other people to try and get a reaction to get attention. Your kids are just, there's a genuine want to to interact and be social and, and converse and go backwards and forwards and not just be, you know, I'm looking for attention and I'll, I'll, I'll do whatever I can to, to get that attention, whether it be good or bad. So that's, yeah. um, it's, a, it's a fantastic quality that they've got. Yeah, I, I, I'll take that as a compliment. I, I, yeah. it's, it's good to hear. Yeah, absolutely. So my uh, my segue again. <laughs> so, <laughs> that was a bit of a tangent. Yeah, it was. It was. But that's okay. Um, with with Kai, yep. um, and I'll give a bit of a spiel and a bit of a rundown in the intro as well, and, and I'll, I'm going to put a bunch of links and resources and things that people can, can read up about and get to know the story and whatnot, but look, you can you can do the long or you can do the short version. But I think probably there'd be a number of people out there that aren't aware of of the story around Kai and and the absolute sort of roller coaster that that you've all been through as a family um, since since he was born or leading up to his 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 birth. Um, mm-hmm. Do you want to give a rundown of I guess what where it all started and and uh, I mean <coughs> I, you might not be able to you might not be able to. Um, Reduce this to a small, short story, but uh, but you can give it a shot if you want. I'll, I'll give it a go. It's it, it. I may I may or may not get through it. It, it is a very emotional topic for me. Yeah, yeah. it was uh, late late two thousand and seven. We we found out that Lisa was pregnant again, um, which was a bit of a. Well, actually, it wasn't because Kai was was sort of planned. Um, Tyler was the the. The, the pleasant surprise, as, as everybody calls it. Um, Kai, Kai was was planned as a as a, a, a playmate partner for for Tyler. Um, so yeah, late two thousand and seven, we we found out that Liz was pregnant, and given her age, we had to go for various testings and and whatnot. And one of these testings was was for uh, uh, chromosomal defects, where they measure. Um, it's like a. a, a it's down along the spine. It, it's it's a cord, they call it a transnuchal scan, and they measure it. And a measurement over X, I think it was about two centimeters or two millimeters, is is considered a risky. Um, Kai's come back three times the size. It was six millimeters. Um, they then sat us down and told us basically that look, he, he's going to have some sort of genetic defect, blah, blah, blah. They, that's when they found that he had uh, an omphacele, which was his, we found out later, was his liver was forming on the outside of his body. That, coupled with the measurement, then they said, look, the, the, the chances of him surviving a, a, a slim, there's a one in three chance that he's going to have Down syndrome. 
Um, there's a one in five chance that you'll have Edwards syndrome and, and all this different sort of stuff. And, you know, think they, they're like, think of your other children. And it was really just being a salesman and basically told us to terminate the pregnancy, mm. basically. Um, so fast forward, we didn't terminate. We got lucky. We got in with a geneticist at Liverpool Hospital who went through a bit further testing and they said, look, you know, everything seems good. The, the, the chromosome levels are good. Everything's good. Okay, he's got the omphacil. We'll deal with that. You know, people, it, it happens. You know, he has an operation. They put his, his liver back in and, you know, it should be okay. So cool. We transgress further down through the pregnancy um, through an Iron Maiden tour. Mm. Of which Lisa come, of which Lisa come to three shows. I think she come to yeah, right. down to Mel down to Melbourne with me and in Sydney. Um, and then we come back. And we had to go for another ultrasound, and that's when they found the heart defect as well. So then we're like, oh wow. So they're like, okay. So he's got this liver problem. He's got a heart problem. He's got this transnuchal problem. We go through various specialists various testings and they come back and they hit us with a condition called pentalogy of Cantrell. Now, in numbers, pentalogy of Cantrell happens one in roughly 11 million births worldwide. The survival rate of that is one in four. Mm. So the odds of, of Kai surviving the pentalogy of Cantrell and everything that he had going were one in 44 million. And just a quick jump forward, seven years later, he's still here. So he is part of one in 44 million. Yeah. So, yeah, that was, Lisa went extreme high risk pregnancy. Um, not many obstetricians, gynecologists, nobody really wanted to touch the case. They all thought that it was a futile effort. The heart guy was, the, the heart specialist was saying, well, we'll have to wait and see what happens. If he lives through getting his liver put back in, well, then we'll see what we can do about the heart. But the liver guy is saying, well, you know, there could be other complications. And we're just like, holy shit, what the fuck have we got ourselves into? But, you know, no one could tell us for certain that he wouldn't live, mm. that there was that, that slim chance that... He may have a few operations and everything can transgress. There was no chromosome defects. It was all, you know, surgical. So let's keep going. You know, by that time it was, was too far gone anyway. Lisa would have had to, you know, if we decided to terminate the pregnancy or whatever at, at any stage, Lisa would have had to have given birth and, and basically, you know, anyway. No, we don't, we don't go down that road. Um, so fast forward to May, I think the last two weeks of, of the last eight weeks, Lisa was out to Westmead Hospital four times a week. So traveling from Norellan out to Westmead four times a week for testing and, and ultrasound monitoring and heart monitoring and everything else. Um, then the, the final two weeks, they put her into hospital. Uh, it was too risky in case she went into labor on her own. So it was, it was all planned. Um, he was going to be delivered on the 27th of May uh, via cesarean. So that day finally come and he come out and went straight over to the, the, the Grace unit over at Westmead Children's, which is a neonatal intensive care. Uh, they were planning on doing the operation to put his liver back in that day, but we found out that the liver surgeon that he'd had, we'd seen throughout the whole pregnancy, was in, I think it was in Fiji at the time. So we had some other uh, surgeon that we'd never met and, he sort of had the case handed over to him. 
but a few emergencies come through and he never went for the surgery on, on, on the night he was born. He went and had the surgery on the, the 28th of May, 24 hours old, and he went and had his first surgery. So we were fast forward a bit. They done. They couldn't do the repair on his heart. He had, he had the tetralogy of fallow, which is a missing valve, the hole between the chambers. But he also had a, a disconnected left pulmonary artery. So there was no blood flow down to the left lung. So they had to give him a, uh, a medication to keep a, a, a duct open to allow the blood to get down to the lungs so it would keep functioning until they could do a, a minor repair. So that come and went. And then after that, he, he, his her, uh, diaphragm herniated and the liver went up into the chest cavity, which nearly killed him then. But they pulled it back down with a bit of a surgery and that was a rocky road for a little while. And I think he was born in the May, August, September, October. I think it was about October. We were finally discharged home. No, September. We were discharged home. He wasn't completely repaired. Mm. He was still he was still on um, nasogastric feed, so he had a tube down his nose to, to feed him and whatnot. But he was doing okay, and he had to have a full repair of his heart at some stage. So that was September. So we had September, about mid-October, we noticed a bit of a change in him, and we took him back in, and the, cardi- the cardiologist looked at him, and they said, well, that's it. We've got to, we've got to operate. We've got to do his repair, and you know, he, he's not managing. So that was mid-October. So that happened Melbourne Cup Day 2008. He was booked in for his, his his repair, so we took him in, handed him over to the surgeons, and they said, you know, it should be a couple of hours, so it'll be good. And all told, it was about six hours he was in there, open heart surgery, not even, it was what, May, June, July, August, September, October, November, six months old, mm. having open heart surgery. Up, up until that one, he'd had, we had about nine surgeries up until that point to get there, to get through it. Um, and that's that. That day was 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 probably one of the worst days of our lives. He, the, the surgeon, come and he explained to us that there was a given everything that had gone on prior with with the the diaphragm herniating and, and everything else that his heart had rotated, so he had to manipulate the heart a lot more than what he had to. Like he had to handle the heart, and the heart doesn't handle being handled. Mm-hmm. <laughs> For one of, um, and I think it was. So we, we went and seen him after the surgery and he's hooked up to machines and wires and pacemakers and what have you. And I sat with him for about an hour. I went downstairs to, to give mum and dad a ring, let grandma and grandpa know that you know, everything had gone well and he was recovering. Next thing the nurse is there, you know, downstairs outside, you know, looking for me. And I raced back upstairs and, and Kai had arrested. He'd gone into cardiac arrest right in front of Lisa. They cracked his chest open. The nurse had a hand inside his chest and she was pumping his heart mm. by hand. Uh, he was he was me down for 28 minutes. He, yeah, 28 minutes he was down for. At 30, they stop and say, that's it, you're dead. They crashed in, they, they put him onto a machine called ECMO, which is extracorporeal membrane oxygenation, which basically is, does the function of his heart and lung outside of his body. So they, they stick a tube into the right atrium and they stick a tube into the left ventricle and they pump the blood and they... This machine does everything for him. It but done the function of his heart, his lungs, his kidneys, the whole lot. It filtered everything. 
So we had a four-bedroom, a four-bed ICU room all to ourselves with a spare ECMO machine, an intensive care specialist, a pulmonary... I can't remember their technical term, but we call them the, the, the pumpers, mm. somebody to look after the ECMO machine, and a, an intensive care nurse 24-7. Four, four attempts were made to take him off the ECMO machine. Once once he you know, sort of showed signs of improvement, four times they tried to take him off, and, and four times he, he crashed and, and crashed, crashed and burned and, and didn't, didn't respond, basically. He didn't. You know, the, the heart didn't kick in and take over and, and do what it was supposed to do. So that was, yeah. And then come in, it was the Friday, the Friday after, it was the fourth time that they, they come to us and they said, look, Monday will be the last time that we'll take him off. We don't hold any grave, any any great fears. We don't, you know, we don't hold any great hope that he's going to make it. Um, we'll do the best. We'll, we'll take him off, make him comfortable. Uh, hand him over to you guys and basically let him go peacefully. And we just said, I, I lost it. We lost it. Lisa lost it. We just, and they said, look, you've got family and friends getting in over that weekend and, and say what you need to do and do what you need to do. So I'm like, okay, how do you, how do you deal with that? Basically, you, you've been told the day that your son's going to die. <laughs> how, how do you spend the next 48, 72 hours coping with that? You know, you've, you've got three other children. You've got grandma and grandpa, and, and you're just like, how, how do you, how do you process that? I, I sit back now and go, how did I process that? How did Lisa process that? How, how do you process being told that on Monday you, your child's going to die? Yeah. Uh, 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 so we did. We rallied the family and and, and everybody around. And the, the, the the hospital staff that, that come from the Grace Ward where he spent his first four or five months. And they, the people just come from everywhere. The, the outpouring of support was just, just amazing. Mm. Um, they used Kai's story as, as a major fundraiser for um, the Christmas appeal, for their, their major appeal uh, to, to raise money. They used his story. So the, the fundraising team, the hospital staff, everybody, it was just, it was amazing. Mm. And there were a few... There are a few things that happened during that time that, I, yeah, I, I can't. I, I still find hard to talk about. Um, but let's just say that they changed my outlook on life very quickly. The doctors then come to us. I think it was the Saturday night or the Sunday morning, and they said, "Look, there's this drug that they're using in Melbourne on adults that helps get them off the ECMO machine." We'd like to use it on Kai to try it, to trial it, to, to see if it will work. And, and at first I'm like, you want to use my kid as a guinea pig? No. Mm-hmm. And then I, and I thought, well, hang on a minute. Is it going to lessen his chances? And they're like, no, we don't think so. Will it improve his chances? We don't think so. <laughs> well, does it work in older people? Yes, it works in adults, but it hasn't been tried in, in neonates or, or children. And we're like, oh. So we thought about it, we talked about it, and we went, yeah, okay, give it a go. It, it, it can't do any worse, you know what I mean? Yeah. It, it, can, only, it can only be for the better, so let, let's give it a shot. So the Monday morning comes, and, and we're sitting there with him, and the doctors and whatnot come in, and they say, look, this is it. We'll, we'll take you away to a, a parent's return, re- retreat room, and you can, you can you know, wait, and we'll, we'll come and get you when, when we're ready. We, it, 
got escorted out. And he said to the nurse, I said, look, what, what sort of time frame are we looking at? And they said, well, we, we, by this time we'd grown a pretty good relationship with, with the nurses and the staff there. And she said, well, look, I'll be honest with you. If the longer you wait to hear from us, the better. I said, okay. I said, in that, what do you mean? After an hour, after two hours? She goes, look, if you hear from us in under an hour, it's probably not going to be the best result. And I went, okay. I, I, I could accept that. And it's funny how you, your body processes it and your mind processes it. I, I would, that, that's pretty much how I handled it. I went, yeah, okay, cool. And I, I just didn't, it didn't phase me, you know what I mean? I, and I don't know why it didn't. We, we're sitting in the room just sort of talking, looking at each other, staring blankly at walls. And I think it was about 40 minutes had gone by and the phone rang in the room and I'm like, no. No. <laughs> no. So I answered the phone and, and she said, look, meet me in the hallway. And that, to me, it just didn't sound right, you know what I mean? It's not like come to the room or anything. She wanted, it was a nurse that had escorted us down. She said, meet me at the hallway. And we sort of come out of the room and we, we got to the hallway and, and she was there and she had a smile on her face and, and, and she she was sort of clapping. And, and she's like, he, he's, he's responded well. This drug that they tried and everything else, he's responded. He's kicked on. He's 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 beating on his own. The ECMO machine's off. Everything's looking good. Uh, yeah, wow. amazing. Uh, yeah, <laughs> I'm just like, well, okay, sure, no dramas. No, it's amazing. Just, you can't you can't go and see him. The, the doctors and everyone are still there. But I just wanted to let you know that everything's looking good. So they they took us back and and. I think it was another 20 minutes, half an hour, and the, the surgeons come out and they gave us the news and they said, look, you know, he's, he's kicked on, everything looking good. Um, we'll just have to wait and see now. Yeah. And I'm like, well, what happens if, if, if it goes wrong again? And they look, don't go there because if, if it goes wrong again, we, we can't do anymore. That's it. You know, it's up to him now. He has to kick on by himself. We, we can't intervene. We can support and help, but we can't intervene. So, yeah, he... he, he he, he battled through it, and that was the November. I think we spent November, December, January. Towards the end of January, we spent in intensive care at Westmead. I gave up work. Lisa and I were, were tag-teaming in and out. We had a parents' room at the hostel, so one of us was there two nights, one of us was at home. Kids were at school, balancing back and forth. Mid-January, we finally got discharged out to a ward. And then the 10th of February, 2009, they finally discharged us home. Yeah. Uh, He he come home, he was on on oxygen. So he was on oxygen 24-7. So he was hooked up to an oxygen bottle or an oxygenator, which we had in our bedroom, which is a big pumping machine. So at night time, he'd get put in his cot and he'd be hooked up to oxygen. He was on uh, kangaroo pump feeds. So... He had a, a constant, they had a, a formula worked out. He had to have X amount of calories per kilo per hour. So I become a bit of a scientist and a physicist and I had to work <laughs> out, you know, on, on a weekly basis, okay, this is how much he weighs, this is how much calories he needs per hour. And, and he was on continual pump feeds. Um, and he just went from strength to strength to strength to, to now, yeah, October. But his lungs took a big hit. His lungs took a lot of damage when he arrested. The rest of his body parts 
and and bits they were all concerned with. They were like, you know, he'll have brain damage because of the lack of oxygen or his kidneys, excuse me, his kidneys will be damaged. He's going to have liver problems because it's enlarged and there's this and there's that. He's got blood clots in his necks and and everybody's, you know, what he's going to be like development-wise because he's been down for so long and the organs and everything were starved of oxygen. And that's all come back, you know, throughout the years that, that everything's been good in that aspect, but the lungs. His lungs have been his, his his downfall for the last, probably the last two to three years. It's been a constant battle with him with his lungs and his heart was, you know, we knew he needed another heart operation. They said in his mid-teens, well, that didn't happen. They got fast-forwarded until he was seven. You know, it, it took Lisa basically jumping up and down at, in, in a hospital um, while Kai was basically in heart failure at the end of last year, he was he was that close to death. It wasn't funny. He was he was hours away from death, sitting in one hospital bed, and they're like, "Oh, you know, we just have to wait and see." And mm. you know, Lisa started jumping up and down, and and they they finally just bit the bullet and chucked him in the back of an ambulance and rushed him over to to Westmead and put him into an accident emergency. And yeah. He was. He was. He was in the, the beginning stages of heart failure. He was. He was hours away from from not being any. Do you think that? Uh, do you think that their reluctance to start off with was them just not understanding, or do you think too much red tape, or just a combination? I, I think it was lack of. Under, I, think, I think it was lack of understanding. Yeah. Of, of knowing how to deal with such a chronically ill patient. Yeah. yeah. To, to to deal with 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 a, a, a child that had major complex issues in the past and and, and everything else and. Because he'd been in and out of, of that hospital with pneumonias and, and whatnot throughout the course of the last probably two to three years, he, he, his lungs sort of started to deteriorate. And we noticed that you know he was getting more in, infections, he was getting more chest infections, he was getting more lung infections, and and, and I, I think it got to a point where that was all they treated. They they couldn't see that there was a, a cardiac issue. On top of that, and I, I think that's what they were treating. They were treating more of, of, of the lung issue than they were with, with the cardiac. But uh, given what Lisa had, had seen and, and what I had seen, not that I'd seen it in the last two years because Lisa spent most of the time with him, she could read him. She could see it. And we got a friend there that was a, a, a fairly highly trained nurse. And he was also a paramedic prior to that. He, he said, no, this is cardiac. He went to the numb and he said he needs to go now, lights and sirens, to Westmead. He is in the beginning of heart failure. And that, until that point, they didn't do much. And that was, and then that, that was when they said, well, shit, okay, let's get him out of here. And, and I honestly think it was like, let's get him out of here. I don't even want him dying on our ward. Yeah, that right. was, that, that was my gut feeling towards it. Uh, and that was when, it, it fast-tracked his, his next heart surgery, which was um, November last year, which was, you know, which is supposedly the the the, the, the last repair, but we, we've, we've now found out that he may need another one in his mid-20s. But even that hasn't really helped him in the way of his lungs. We, we're still having issues with him now. Uh, he's still on nebulizers. He's, you know, we, we think that there's a, another... Underlying, you know, his his pediatrician 
now thinks that there is an underlying, another underlying cardiac issue sitting there at, at this stage now. Mm. You know, he's he's on diuretics to to help him get rid of fluid. You know, fluid retention is is a major indication of of heart failure. He's still wet on the lungs. He's, he's got bronchiectasis, which is going to be with him for life now because the lungs are scarred and they don't clear mucus the way they do. So the body's retaining fluid. Their lungs aren't clearing mucus. It's just going to recurring infections. But touch wood, we've been out of hospital for. Uh, quite a few months now and we're on top of it at home with, with nebulizers and you know, he's on nebulized antibiotics and nebulizers to make him cough and clear the mucus. He's on medications to help clear the fluid until we can get in and, and see his cardiologist and, and, and see what's going on further. <laughs> so yeah, it's, it's, been a, it's been a long seven years and that's just the, 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 the condensed version. There's been many, many a, an issue. Oh, in between just, times. I mean, from the from the time that I've I've known you and Lisa, it, there's just always been something going on, and you know, a spanner in the works, so to speak, of where things tend to to settle down a little bit and and seem to be okay, and then then something something pops up and and back through it, and uh, I mean, geez. Oh, I wouldn't even begin to to even attempt to imagine what uh, what you've all been through, and you know it's it's a lot of people. As I said, you've you've got a large family, and I guess that's that's of great benefit. But um, it it must uh, it must be just incredible just to to deal with so much, and and the and the most incredible thing about it is for for all of for all of that uh, trauma that uh, that Kai's been through. I tell you what, he's one chirpy kid. <laughs> he's, oh you know, yeah. He, um, you know, any. I mean, not anybody else, but you know, you would forgive anybody to to really sort of not give up, but just to to really wallow in 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 it. But uh, he, I mean, obviously, no doubt, like anybody, he's he's going to have his his good days and his bad days. But he, look from the outside, he he seems to be a very resilient. Little kid, little boy, and he's um he's he's definitely taken it in his stride the best that he can. But he he, he is the, the the toughest person I know. He, he's only seven. Um, I, I've I've said it before, and and I mean it. He is my hero. He is my inspiration for life. He's just yeah. I, yeah. I, I sorry. He he is he is. You know, I, I look at him and I think, how the fuck are you still standing? You you've you've gone through. 24 major surgeries, three heart surgeries, two open heart surgeries. You're seven. And, and I, I just, I look at him and I, and I am in awe. I, I really am. And I just, and then to, to see him tonight or any night out in the backyard with his siblings kicking a footy and, and running around and being an idiot and just enjoying life. It just, it, it's, uh, uh, everybody says that, that, that they're a proud parent, and, and I'm a proud parent. But uh, until you've had or, or been a parent of a, 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 a sick child to the extent, or it, it doesn't matter, a, a child that was so close to death, that was so sick, that that it, that it hit the ceiling of intensive care, 
that there could be no, no more done for him. That, that so many people said in the beginning we should have terminated him. Mm. Uh, people that said he shouldn't be here. People that said that, you know, we're going to take him off life support, hand him over to you and let him go peacefully. He, he's just turned around and flipped them the bird <laughs> in, in, the big, in the biggest way possible. Um, uh, what doesn't kill you makes you stronger, mate. This, he is the strongest person I ever know. I just... And, when you've got to give him his nebulizer of a night time, he hates it. He, he he just wants to be normal. He just wants to sit and do whatever. And you know, it gets it hurts his throat. And he, he's a lot better now. He now understands and he accepts that he has to do it. But there are times when he he just screams and kicks. No, I don't want to do it. And your heart breaks. You, yeah. you think, you've gone through enough. Okay, you know. Don't do it. Don't don't have your nebulizer. You just but you know in the back of your mind by not giving him that nebulizer, you know, just just missing that one nebulizer could put him back in hospital. To leave that mucus in his lungs overnight, it could get infected uh, that quickly. Uh, there's probably people sit there that go, "Well, it's not going to happen that quick." Yes, it does. Mm. <laughs> it does happen that quick. I've seen it. It, yeah. it happens. So. It's 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 tough, but yeah, no, he's he's definitely an inspiration, and, and um, he, he's definitely got a, a shining light too that people just gravitate towards him. He, he is here for a greater purpose. Mm. Lisa and I have both said that. You know, he he's just the, the sort of kid that just a, a, attracts happiness. You, you can't help but not be happy around him. Oh, he's, I mean, just going back to what I said earlier about just coming to your place. I mean, he's the same as as the rest of the rest of your kids. He he runs up and he wants to he wants to know who you are. He wants to l- let you know who he is, and he wants to show you things and talk to you. And and uh, you know when we when we did that show, um, the All Ages show last year, and he was able to come out and and uh, and watch it. I mean, it was just incredible to to have him there. And, Loved it. He loved it. Yeah. To this day, he still says it's the best night of his life. <laughs> <laughs> it's just, uh, it's it, it's it's good from the outside because I mean, we can only, I mean, I well, I can only talk for, on behalf of myself, but I assume that for the majority of people, we only see it in one certain light, and we only see glimpses of things as things occur, and then everyone sort of gravitates back into their normal everyday lives and their own their own worries and their own things that take up their, take up their time and their mind. And I mean, but you and, and Lisa and your whole family have, have lived through all this all the time. And, and I guess those moments like that uh, are, are probably even extra special. And I mean, for him, it's, I mean, it's incredible for him that he's just embraced music so much and he's, he's been quite active with, uh, with the school of rock, uh, out, out MacArthur and, and, um, he's a, he's a, he's a budding musician. He's, I think he's going to do some, some great things down the track. And it's just, it's incredible. As I said before, for, for somebody who's been through so much and, and he's just, he's just a bundle of energies. He's just absolutely incredible. Yeah. He, he loves his music. He, he, he loves the he loves getting out there and bashing on the drums. It, it, a lot of the times, he'll just sit out there and he'll just bash, uh, literally just bash. And, and I go, guys, stop. But th- then then I stop and, and I think about it. The reason he's bashing is because it gets his frustration, you know, I think. Uh, especially when he's not feeling well and he, he can't get out there and run around when, when he wants to. He takes his frustration out on that drum kit, mm. you know, and 
Then other days you, you'll see him. He'll sit down there and he'll he'll knock out a rhythm and and uh, and just play stuff that I just sit there and go, fucking hell! You're only seven. You're not supposed to be playing this shit, <laughs> you know. And I, he does, and uh, yeah, uh, it, it's a passion that he's got, and he, he's you know, like I said, he, he's here for a purpose. That's for sure. Oh, absolutely. I think. Um... I know that he's he's still he's still far from a hundred percent, and he's got a long way to go, and he's he's going to have um, potentially more things down the track. But um, I, I tell you what, he's got a great support mechanism around him, and he's he's got the right um, he's got the right mental approach as well. I think that's going to be half the, and it has been half the half the the benefit to him is is being such a strong minded kid that he, he can yeah yeah I mean that. That's probably helped him more than more than probably most people would realise. I mean, it wouldn't be a surprise to to you guys, but for everybody else, I mean, I, I think um, I think he's the way that he processes everything, the way that he, you know, it, not everything, but because you know, geez, seven years old, <laughs> but you know, taking <laughs> taking things in his stride the best way he can. I mean, that's the mind's a mind's an incredible thing. So, um, yeah. He's uh, he's definitely sure he's definitely in the best position possible given his circumstances. He he wants to play footy. He wants to play the drums. That that's that's it. You know, he, he doesn't want to go to school. He doesn't need to learn. He wants to play the drums. His <laughs> <laughs> you know, he, he, teacher's got a chart set up for him. If he spends X amount of days not tapping on the table with his with his pencils, he can then get. Ten minutes of tapping on the table with his pencils, <laughs> you know. <laughs> so, you know, it's it's just yeah, it's crazy. Oh, jeez. And um, one thing that you mentioned earlier on, and because I know, and we won't, I I will definitely not go down um, this this tangent, but I know that there's been a lot of goodwill out there and a lot of great things. Um, you know, I mean, even jeez. Kai being on TV for a number of different things and and some great sort of community help and then yeah there's been some not so great help either along the way that hasn't exactly um, made life better but so we won't really touch on that but I guess what I'm trying to lead into is for people that whether it whether it's directly for Kai and I, I think for you guys you it's I don't think you guys are pretty proud and I know that you I think sometimes it's better to not have people <laughs> trying to help because it's, it adds further complications to things. But I think maybe in a general sense, you know, I mean, you, you mentioned earlier about having to sort of manage life, manage the family, you know, you don't have a small family and then you had all these concerns and even, even, you know, last year as well and being in and out of hospital, just keeping life going in general for everybody and making sure that things work. What, I guess from from you know your Joe Blow that might be listening, what are things that people can do to make life easier for for people that are in your your position, like you, other families that are going through these sort of you know not exactly the same situations, but in other situations where they're really getting tested you know, and from a family point of view to try and keep life moving. Oh, Heart Kids Australia are, are a big support network. They they do a lot for the families um, in in the way of, of care packages and whatnot for for people while they're in hospital. Um, they've got a parents uh, resource centre down there that you know mum and dad can go down to and 
you know, you can get a, a massage or a foot massage or, or something just to make that time in hospital just that little bit easier. They they help out in, in various ways with different, you know, vouchers and, and fuel vouchers and, and you know, coals vouchers and all that sort of stuff that they donate to, to mum and dad, even to the point where it's a crossword book and a pen just to sort of pass the time while they're sitting in hospital. But not only that, outside of that, they put on a lot of... Uh, family-orientated events for the kids and the families. You know, this weekend we're taking off on Friday up to Myuna Bay for the for the Heart Kids Family Camp, uh, which is which is totally free of charge to to us. We you know all, all the Heart Kids get together and you know all the families get together and they they put on a weekend of, of activities up there at the recreation center and you know fishing and archery and bushwalking and, and everything else and it's a good weekend away for the the, the the parents and the kids to forget about life's problems for the for the weekend and and just be with other people and, and that are in a similar boat that they can get along and enjoy themselves you know they they're a, a big major support organization that, that are there for Families like like ours and, and and for kids like Kai and then it goes on further. They they have the teen camp, whereas the kids are you know move into the teenage years, they can go away without mum and dad, you know, and then spend time with with teenagers with with like conditions and, and health problems, and that you know it, it's it's a big help. So yeah. So I'll put I'll put a link for people to check out for that. And I mean, the reason, the reason why I asked and, and probably half the reason why I made, I, well, I didn't put you on the spot because you knew I was going to ask you about Kai, but, but still putting you on the spot to, to go through yeah. and, and relive it all is, I guess, I think everyone for the most part, at least initially has good intentions of, of wanting to do whatever they can to help other people. And sometimes there are better ways than others to help. And sometimes a good intention might end up having causing further drama down the track where the, and it could be something simple like for example and um I can edit this out if you if you don't want me to mention it but I, I assume it's okay you, you guys put together the Kai's heart page on Facebook and yep. and I think either yourself or or Lisa mentioned it but it was it was very obvious in a, in a very positive way that it was the best way to keep people up to date with how Kai was doing and you could put photos up there. You could put updates when, when he was, wasn't as, as well and he was in hospital and whatnot. And it just took the pressure off you guys for having to continually repeat the same updates to multiple people over and over again, who probably, who all have the best intentions and want to show that they care and want to touch base and make sure that, you know, they're, they're thinking of, of, of you all, but no doubt could get extremely exhausting to, to constantly have to have to go through the same thing over and over again and probably answer the same questions over and over again. So the page is mm. the page has been a great answer to that. And I guess, you know, whether it be Kai or whether it be anybody um, out there, um, you know, from in in any sort of similar scenario, um, there are a number of resources and, and community efforts to try and help families and, and help the kids themselves to, to get through these situations. And I guess from the only thing that I can do to try and help is to give a bit more awareness to those resources and, you know, whether it be 
in future support for, for you guys to continue to, to do everything that you can or whether it be for, for other people out there as well. So, um, you know, you, you guys have, you guys do, do have a lot of support around you. And I know that, uh, in some ways it's, it's, it's never enough, but in other ways it, 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 sometimes it is, it's more than enough. Um, but yeah, I think, um, I think but the, the, no, the, the tiniest bit of support is, is always welcomed. You know, um, you, you mentioned, you know, the Kai's Hearts page. That was, that was set up, as you said, you know, the power of social media, use it. Mm. It, it made life easier and, and less stressful for Lisa and myself during that time. You know, we, we could send one message to Michaela or, you know, or we could do it ourselves. She could post an update. Everybody could see it. Everybody could leave their well wishes and their, their, their thoughts for Kai and we could see them and it, we didn't have to spend time answering 20, 30, 40, 50 SMSs or, or Facebook messages or phone calls when we really needed to focus our attention on, on Kai mm. during that time, mm. you know, and the, the people that were around at, at the time you know, chimed in and, and dropped in with a, you know, a, a, a tray of lasagna or a, you know, a couple of barbecue chooks and it, it just took that pressure off everywhere. Mm. You know, the, the, the community just got behind it. You know, um, you guys put on a bit of an all ages show. You know, I, I know that you know Kai was a bit of a motivation for you to, to get that happening, and I mean, that that was that was brilliant. Uh, and then uh, Trudy and the, the promoter head team put on a, a fundraising. You know, after he's, he's had the, the surgery and and everything else, and you know the, the support from that community was, you know, we, we was. It was amazing, mm. you know, to, to see a, a turnout to to help support not just Kai but but young Lucas, you know, Adam's son, the bass player from Tetris. He he was born with a heart condition not too long beforehand, you know, mm. and to see that, you know, so we had the support from our, our family and friends sort of here at home, but we also had the support from the the. The, the Sydney music community as well, as well. Mm. Um, and it, to this day it, it still goes. You know, people still do send a message or you know ask and and or you know um, just give their time to to, to Kai to to you know the, the guys from Sisters Doll took the, the, that were on Australia's Got Talent. They took the time after the grand final to come out at the end of it and, and spend, you know, half an hour talking to Kai and, and Tyler and just, it, it's just, I don't know, it, it's just one of those things you sit back and you think, wow, you know, it's, it's amazing. You know, the, the opportunity that was, that was given to, to Kai to go backstage during Cabra uh, when they had the support spot for the Lone Guardian, <laughs> you know, before the doors opened, you know, Mr. Dave Balfour worked his magic and, and got Kai in there during you know, backstage to spend a bit of time with the guys from Tabra and, and just that sort of stuff is is far more beneficial to him. You know what I mean? It, yeah. it creates it creates a, a, a diversion so he's not thinking about, you know, whether he thinks about being sick or not, I don't know. But mm. it, it gives him an escape. It gives him some normality yeah. to... to 
Although it's not something that normally happens to, to have a seven-year-old go backstage at, a, at an international gig, but <laughs> you know what I mean? It, yeah. it, it's just normal comparison something. anyway. Yeah, it yeah. gives him a little something, you know, that, that just sort of gives him that push to, to go on. Yeah, it's just, yeah, it creates a memory mm. that, that he, he can be with, you know, it's just. I'll I'll put a link to to Kai's heart page for for anyone who wants to have a look because I I've got it open now I can see the pictures from um from the other day when uh, with the sisters doll thing and I can yep. see I can see pictures of um of Kai and Tyler with the um the horns up and and I can see a Lord T shirt in there as well repping. <laughs> <laughs> it's classic. That's it, right? Yeah. Yeah. So I'll I'll put some links up so people can have a look as well. That's really cool. And yeah. um, and I and I and I put links in there as well for um for I guess for I'll I'll have a look and if you think of anything else or other places around or any other support mechanisms that are out there that help families, I'll put all the links in there as well because everyone sort of and it, 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 everybody knows you know you got you got heart kids you, know, <coughs> you got heart kids Australia heart kids New South Wales they're 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 the major supporters of the kids with the, the chronic heart condition. Um, but not only that, the, the, the children's hospital at Westmead, um, especially their intensive care units, uh, the neonatal intensive care unit is one of, one of, if not the best in the country. Mm. Um, they do an amazing job up there. They, they, they are just, you know, way back in the beginning, he, he, if he was ever going to make it through, it was, it was, Making it through that first initial start as, as a neonate, yeah, and the, the the support that not only the nurses, the doctors, the the lactation consultants for Lisa, the it just they're, they're an amazing team, and you know that they they could really do with some you know funding or recognition for the work that they do. It's a bit lacking in my eye. Yeah, you know, it's 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 a pet hate. I could go off on a completely different tangent, <laughs> but I won't because you know it, it'll lead to another three-hour podcast. <laughs> That's right. We're doing all right so far. I think we've um, we've we've almost hit the two-hour mark, so we've done well. But well, we we might chase down Anwar's record. Yeah. That's <laughs> But I'll I'll put some links up if I can find or if you know or think of anything over the coming days um, of any sort of I guess avenues that people can go down to I don't know to 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 throw money in that direction and sometimes you have to wait for an individual fundraiser of some unique thing to to get behind but um, there might be some some resources out there that people can gravitate towards and and do something to to contribute and make life easier for. For, for families out there that have to go through, fuck a hell of a hell of a lot. So yeah, yeah. well, the, the the big the big the big ticket fundraiser for for heart kids is their annual ball, okay. the, the tiny tickets ball. Yeah. You know, that's that's probably something that's out of reach for for a lot of people. It's it's a it's a fairly hefty price tag just to get in, but it, it it's aimed at the corporate dollar. You know what I mean? It's it's not aimed to entertain mum and dad. It's aimed at the, the, you know the, the likes of the, the big business guys that, that have got it. has it, got the dollars to to throw at a charity auction to to raise money. That's their big ticket event. So if there is somebody out there listening that is involved in that 
high flying corporate. Tiny kickers ball this year is in August. Um, That's right. Throw your money down. Yeah, you know, if you can jump in for a table, it's a great night. You get you get a, a four course meal and all your alcohol and a, a great night of entertainment. I donate my time and photographs. You think? Oh, cool. Mm-hmm. All right, awesome. Well, I'll put I'll put a link to that, and we'll find a bunch of other things that we can put in there. Because I'm look, I think just anybody listening to 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 Kai's story and 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 what you've what you've gone through, I think um, no doubt there'll be a, a natural sort of pull for some people to to want to do something to to try and help uh whether it be you know in the future or for for any any family that goes through goes through similar sort of circumstances so i'll put all that up there and people can can have a look and and uh contribute if and if and when they can and um and of course i'll put up all the um the mick g photography stuff as well put a bunch of links there and people can check out what you do and and uh, maybe we might find a couple of uh a couple of maiden things to put in there as well, just to, to keep all the <laughs> we'll keep keep all the maiden fans happy. <laughs> <laughs> Very good. Awesome. Awesome. Very good. Well, I think yeah. I think two hours is pretty good, and we can always come back and, and have a chat down the track two as well. Two hours is very good. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, I'll I'll let you go, and uh, and we'll, we'll talk soon. Thank you very much. Thank you so much for listening. Uh, another lengthy podcast, but I think that was well justified, don't you? Um, I always prefer the lengthier podcasts anyway. It uh, always gives more opportunity to have a proper conversation and not have to worry about the time, so so to speak. Um, they're much better than the, the quick uh, burst where we've got to watch the clock. Um, so, yeah, hope you got plenty out of that. And I'm going to put a whole bunch of links and resources on andysocial.net, so get over there and have a look. If you don't normally check out the show notes, I strongly encourage you to do so. I'll put a bunch of things there, um, especially if you feel compelled to uh, donate some money or some time um, to spread the awareness and help highlight a lot of great organisations and charities that that do a lot to help families and children that uh, that go through a hell of a lot, um, such as uh, what... Uh, Mick and, and the whole family, especially Kai, have, have been through it and continue to go through as well. Um, and I'll put a link up to Kai's um, Facebook page as well. He's got a community page that um, his sister Michaela keeps up to date. Um, there's a lot of great photos there and a lot of updates and you can have a scroll through and get an understanding of, uh, of what they what they've been going through and keep up to date and, and provide some, some encouraging words of support. And I, I know for a fact that, uh, that the whole Goddard family would, um, would be very appreciative of any, any words of support, but, um, yeah, it's a, it's a great idea that, uh, that they've had. And it's, um, it's a, it's a, it's a good thing to look at and, and look through all the, the great pictures there. And Kai's certainly had uh, some great adventures, um, over the last few years. Um, that's about it from, uh, I'll think if, if there's anything else that I can think of between now and the time this podcast go, goes up, I'll add those links into the show notes. Um, please, this will be also up on YouTube. Even if you don't listen to the episode on YouTube, um, if you want to make this easy access and spread the, uh, the episode around, use the YouTube link and I'll have that uh, posted up on the Facebook page, which is, or you can just search for Andy Social on there. Um, or youtube.com slash C for Charlie slash Andy Dowling, I believe. Um, 
and you can subscribe to the YouTube channel anyway. But um, that's a great link that you can use. A lot of people prefer to listen to things on YouTube, so that's uh, another additional tool there to, to help get these uh, these conversations out to more people. Um, a couple of little housekeeping things, as always, uh, get over to iTunes, rate and review. Uh, it's a pretty quick and easy process. You can do it through uh, iTunes itself on your um, PC, laptop, MacBook, whatever you use, or you can do it through the uh, podcast app on your smartphone. Uh, if you don't use uh, Apple um, and you listen via RSS or Stitcher or Omni, um, or just directly from the website, any way that you can show support by whether it be liking, sharing, commenting, whatever's available, um, all those interactions help um, expose this podcast to more people. And the more people that listen, uh, the more opportunities there are for me to do more episodes, interview and speak to more people. I use that bad word interview, but you know what I mean. <laughs> and um and continue to, to, to give more to, to you guys as well. I mean, as I said at the start, in my uh, long roundabout way, um, a great thing about this podcast, and I've, I have seen it uh, already in, uh, in a large way, is that many people get something great out of it. They, get, they learn something new. They get a new perspective, some reassurance about, um, about something that's been worrying them. Uh, anything uh, there's been there's been quite a number of things that are helping people become better people, uh, and for me, so much so importantly, it's um, it's it's definitely helping me grow as a person. And the more that I talk to people, whether it be people that I've known for quite a few years or or more or less strangers, I'm learning more about people around me. Um, a lot of potential anxieties that I've had or worries about things, I'm learning that, you know, most people go through the same things. And in some cases, people go through a lot more than I do. And it's a great way to get some fantastic perspective. Um, it definitely helps me uh, approach things um, with a with a calmer uh, persona and a calmer approach where um, things don't phase me the way that they used to because I know that life's pretty pretty damn good overall. So it's a great learning for me um, at the very least, but um, it's fantastic and it's just such a bonus to know that there are people listening that also get something out of this as well. So as always, any feedback, any suggestions, any advice, anything whatsoever that you guys want to pass my way, I'm always open and extremely willing to receive anything. Um, this podcast is is for me, but it's also for you guys as well. And the more that I can get you all involved, the more that I can hear from you all, the more that I can understand what you'd like to hear, what you'd like to learn, um, any concerns that you have or things that you're looking for answers for, I'll always try and fulfill them and see if I can find people out there to uh, to try and link in with uh, with anything that you guys are after. Um, and this is all about making this podcast into a community and into a, a posse of people that we all band together. And it's just a case that um, you get to hear my voice as opposed to everybody else. But uh, part of this will be bringing guests on and and, uh, and telling more stories and, and getting more conversations happening. Um, finally, 
just very quickly, uh, May 28th is my podcast party. I'm probably never going to change that title. It's probably just going to be called the podcast party. If you're in the Sydney area and you've got nothing to do on Saturday, May 28th, um, Jordan McDonald, who was on episode 32 of my podcast, has been extremely generous and has offered to supply the fun room at Frankie's Pizza, which is a small, I believe, whiskey bar, um, for me for a few hours from 6pm, just for us and anybody who listens to the podcast. So I'm not advertising this anywhere um, apart from me carrying on about it verbally via these episodes. Uh, So it's up to you guys whether you want to tell others about it, um, but I'm not making any big uh, song and dance online via social media or emails or anything of the such. So no Facebook events, which I'm sure many of you are jumping for joy at. (laughs) Um, So yeah, so it's May 28th, 6pm at Frankie's Pizza in the fun room. Um, All it is, is a, an opportunity to meet up, have a chat with, with all of you guys, whether it be one person, five people, 10 people, 50 people, hundred people, whatever it might be. Um, this is all about just having a few drinks and, uh, being casual, you know, just, uh, nothing, no formal agendas, no presentations, no uh, shows, nothing like that. It's just a case of getting together, having a chat, having some drinks and, and having a good time. And, uh, and I'll see if there's other things that we can do, uh, over the coming weeks leading up towards, uh, towards the date. But I wanted to use this as a little bit of a, as, as one mechanism and one, uh, particular thing to start building this community, build these people um, around the podcast and have you guys as listeners be contributors to the podcast um, in a whole range of ways. And I have a number of uh, ideas up my sleeve over the, for, uh, for the coming months as time moves on and as this podcast gets bigger and better. Um, but this is all about uh, really making this a group effort and uh, making this a, a really, a really cool thing, um, even more so than what it is at the moment. So uh, more details as they come uh, to fruition and as they come to a head over the coming weeks leading up to May 28th. Um, and as I've said in previous episodes, if you don't live in Sydney um, and you happen to be in town around that time, by all means, come come along, uh, especially if you're international um, and you're travelling to Australia and going to happen to be in Sydney around that time. Um, shoot me a message, contact me via whatever channel you can find me on. I'm on. I'm pretty much a social media whore, so you'll be able to find me very easily. And uh, let me know you're in town, and uh, I'm happy to help provide directions. I'm happy to meet up beforehand and whatever it might be. Um, but uh, it's all about uh, bringing all of you guys together and having a few drinks and enjoying yourselves. Anyway, enough of all that rubbish. Uh, AndySocial.net, all the show notes from this great episode are on there. By all means, uh, get out there and support uh, some fantastic uh, organizations doing great things for many, many great people, not just uh, from this episode, but from all the episodes to date. Uh, A massive thank you for everybody who's tuned in for the first time. I hope you stick around and listen to more episodes. There's some fantastic guests that we've uh, we've, um, had the pleasure of having on and uh, and a massive thanks to everybody who continues to support uh, week in, week out. And I promise that there'll be uh, 
plenty more fantastic guests coming up in the future and, and lots of other great things uh, in store. So stay tuned. Thank you. And uh, we'll talk soon. Bye. You're ready. You're ready. Social. You're ready.